Comedy podcast exploring stories from behind and beyond the bar. We're your hosts. I'm Shana. I'm Matt. And this is our third and final episode of our trip to New Orleans. Tales of the Cocktail 2018. I mean, it's been a trip indeed. Oh, God. And trying to remember it has been tough. What's great is we have all this audio that we've collected through the week that we spent there that we get to listen to and edit and put out to your ear holes and you're listening to right now. So we get to relive it as much as we really, really, (laughs) really want to. Yeah, definitely. It was a blast. We've said it countless times and uh, we're happy to bring the, uh, the final day in. Bring the, bring the thunder. Bring the thunder. We're bringing the thunder right now mm-hmm. on this episode three of this three-part series. Mm-hmm. So buckle up, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> because this is going to be a hoot nanny. Yeah, it is. Also, you know, we've talked a little bit about one of our experiences at the parties, our hotel situation. We have all these great memories of the people that we've been with. Matt's talked about some of his favorite. I've talked about a little my favorite. But one thing we haven't heard from yet is... Our mixtress. Our mixtress. Hey, what's hey, up? Hey, guys, listeners, we got Adele Martinez, our podcast mixtress, on the mic right now. And she's going to tell us some of her tales from Tales of the Cocktail. Oh, Jesus. Uh, what a trip that was, wasn't it? Dang. It was one. Yeah, people kept telling me it's not a marathon. What is it? It's not a sprint. It's a not. What is it? It's, it's, not, a- <laughs> it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, Something. I think. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Right. And drink some water. And don't and you don't food. have to drink any every cocktail that's handed to you. Eat food. But the cocktails got handed but to you quicker than the food. Exactly. It was just coming at me at all di- from all directions. And I was just... Um, so, <laughs> to summarize, New Orleans taught me a, th- a thing or two. Uh-huh. I don't ever remember being that hungover in my entire life for such a long period of time. Oh, my goodness. That with the humidity. But it's also this amazing feeling of being in, like in your element that was really special. I've never been to Tesla cocktail before. And it was cool being in an environment where you could start nerding out at any point And everybody in the room would know exactly what you're talking about. It's really special being in a place of all like-minded people. Mm-hmm. And it's, ver- it's rare, too. As much as we do go around to bars all over Los Angeles or the bars that we've worked at in other cities. You sit at a bar, you could talk shop. You always encounter other things and other opinions of different people and their elements as well at a everyday bar. But Tales of the Cocktail is so unique. I'm glad you mentioned that. Everyone you're around is all like-minded people for the entire week. Mm-hmm. And right. everyone is just in amazing, amazing spirits. Yeah, yeah it's an instigator no, convention I, for sure. I think my favorite part was when we're trying to get the street tales, which you'll hear in this episode throughout, when we're just like, that guy looks like a bartender. Are you a bartender? Uh-huh. Oh, what are your stories? And it was just, people were so easily identifiable and it was really fun. I mean, New Orleans is such a beautiful city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my favorite thing about Tales was meeting up with people that kind of we sort of adopted and we just had like a, a solid group of friends for the entire week. One of those people was Cataline from Babes Behind the Bar who's been Shout on our mm-hmm. yeah, Shout she out. Rolled she's, us, she was part of the OG roll through crew. She's been um, on our podcast before. Um, <laughs> the OG crew crew. <laughs> yep. 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 The, the, you said it, Matt. Yep. I, I can't say it again. 
<laughs> Wait, what was that? The OG. The, the OG roll through, roll through crew. crew? I think. <laughs> you heard it first. We're going to get shirts made of that one. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> but yeah, one thing though that definitely catches up to you is that bars don't really close. And I remember at one point I was pretty toasty, hanging out at a bar, and I'm like, all right, when it's last call, it's time to go home. And then it just never happened. I was like, hmm. I'm going to go home anyways. And I stepped outside of the bar. It was a really fun dive bar, which name I can't recall right now. I can't recall a lot of things from that trip. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was the sun was out at 7 a.m. And I was just like, oh, this is going to hurt in a few hours. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty um, sure that brings me to one of my main memories of you, Adele, <laughs> which would be we all shared a hotel room at the Hotel Monteleone. And every morning, nine o'clock, our alarms start going off to get up to get ready to start recording. And I remember checking in with Adele before we went back to the hotel and she was like on fire. And so she's like, I'm like, dude, do you want to come back? Like, it's probably a good idea, you know? And she's like, no, I'm going to get daiquiris. And I'm like, all right, dude. And so I'm like walking down the street back to the hotel and these saloon doors swing open and it's Adele like in rare form like <laughs> I didn't find daiquiris but I found this bar and I'm like alright dude uh, you sure you don't want to come it might be a good idea and she's like rage I'm like alright cool dude whatever and so it was point of return for me at that at that moment it was full commitment and then Ad- commitment. Adele and I were like you know friends and like so we're sharing the bed uh, in the hotel room and I remember waking up you know everyone knows that friend who comes in later then they <laughs> like do that like tiptoeing yeah. into the room but just like as the door opens you know they're there but you're trying to just sleep so you're like ah, I'm not gonna even acknowledge this and, <laughs> and Adele like sl- slinks into bed like and then crawls into a ball and like I'm like oh <laughs> she's gonna be dead for a while in that ball my favorite dude. was that I was still awake and I just raised my hand and she's like <laughs> Fuck you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it was incredible. <laughs> oh, so uh, good times. To, yeah, needless to say, I think uh, Adele took tales of the cocktail by the balls. Yeah. And or more like just a cocktail took me by the tail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so that, I mean, that brings me to where I think we should get into these interviews. And here are the guests we had, the people we uh, we sat in room with in our hotel. Actually, not all these interviews were in our hotel, but these are all one-on-one interviews. And so uh, in the rest of this episode, you're going to be hearing from these amazing guests, amazing bar industry professionals. We're going to be starting this episode off with Emily Eastley. We met her at a local bar in the French Quarter, the Three-Legged Dog. She was such a pleasure and such a great bartender and such great hospitality. We had to have her on. And next we have Mr. Eric Anderson, who is the regional brand ambassador for Hendrix. Following, we have Marco Montefiore, the U.S. market manager of Montenegro. Good parties there, baby. Mm -hmm. And on our fourth interview, we have a legend, Pete Van Lionhorst, an amazing guy uh, who is the master distiller for Bulls Geneva. 
our final last interview that we had at Tales of the Cocktail, which you will hear the destruction in my voice specifically of the week. We had an amazing final guest, Laura Shocked Aruta Geneva. Buckle on up, listeners, because this is a wild ride of Tales of the Cocktail 2018. Yeah, it is. And a fun ride it was. It was the best ride possible. So let's get right into it. Enjoy. Talk tales. Talk tales. Talk tales. Talk tales. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What up? What we are doing talk tales and room interviews once again on our third day. Talk tales. Or fourth. Yep, fourth. Oh, God. <laughs> fourth I'm like, day. it's Thursday. So we've been here since Monday. Oh, God. And this is our first Thursday interview. Yeah, it is. <laughs> We're doing the time, it. There's no time frame here. That in it's New just Orleans been one on solid week. trip. They blur together. Yep, yes. Exactly. It was, yeah, it's been. And you're doing it right. Intense. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're doing a good uh, mix of drinking, working, eating. The mixing talking. is real, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there has been drinks happening. Through the entire thing. Oh, yeah. And we have one of those people that have uh, served us amazing drinks and uh, an even better hospitality. Uh, Emily Eastie is here with us from Yay. the Three-Legged Dog. Hey, guys. Thanks uh, for having me. Oh, thank you Yay. for being here. So happy that you're here. We got recommended to go to the Three-Legged Dog by, oh, a bartender that we were doing street talks with because we were looking for crawfish. So we're like, yeah, okay, cool. So we went... I don't know if you can say if it's off the beaten path, but like we walked up a few blocks mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and uh, found, and saw the sign hanging there, there on the corner. And we're like, that's the place. So we walked in and I forgot my ID like a dummy. And <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> so I left <laughs> and then completely got lost for a while. Oh, did you? Perfect. <laughs> but while I was gone trying to find my hotel. Oh, we were going at it. We, uh <laughs> We were just, we had a few drinks. Tequila shots. Yeah, that yeah, was that's it. what I remember. <laughs> oh, yeah. I semi-remember. <laughs> but it was a blast, though. We, you, you gave us the, the whole rundown on uh, the little crawfish boil that you did. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was amazing. It was so delicious. And it was so cool in there. It was, like, really chill. Like, literally just, like, a good vibe and everything. And you were, like, awesome to us. And it was, it, it was a blast. And then we kind of meshed and... Uh, Shauna finally showed and up. Then and I, then I returned yeah. and proved my my age. And <laughs> uh, and then Emily here just was like one of the best bartenders we've met so far. Oh, like, yeah. It's so been hospitable. Awesome. Thank and, you, guys. Uh, so we're like, dude, if you have time and you can share your, some stories, please come on the podcast. So that's kind of how that all went down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's talk about that for the crawfish boil you guys got going. Cause it's that what was we're like, known for. Yeah, that's like our specialty. And uh, so... One of the co-owners, Todd, it's his granddaddy's recipe, like, you know, handed down years and years. And he always did it in the courtyard in the back of the bar because you can go and it's a social thing. Like you catch it on the right night. You can hang out for hours, talk to him. He'll (laughs) he'll recruit you to help sort the crawfish. Like he'll put you to work. So um, the idea was always we want you to show up to the bar and feel like you're invited to somebody's backyard. That's you know, cool. and you get dragged to a table, you'll meet strangers and like be stuck talking to them for hours. You might have to drag yourself away because we'll just adopt you. We'll be like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you guys made it just in time because crawfish season is almost over. So serendipitous, perfect yeah. timing. But what, what is, how long does that span? It, it's got to be cold water. So like it starts as early as December. We've had it as early as Thanksgiving. Oh, I see. So we're pushing it this year. We kept it around four tails because like people got to experience it. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad you did because it was so cool. Like literally we walked in 
grabbed a um, styrofoam to-go container, like a large one, <laughs> and offered instructions by Emily to go over to the big, um, they have like a big Ice igloo chest, cooler, yeah. <laughs> and it's like filled with crawfish and potatoes and sausage, sausage chili. Two, two sausages. Two like, sausages, mushrooms, corn. Now, the pineapple is controversial. Uh, like, yeah, the owner Todd, he was like, my granddaddy is rolling over in his grave, because that's the only thing he's added in, you know, 50 <laughs> plus years of this recipe. Well, that's kind of cool, though, because then it kind of like a little spin. Yeah, yeah, his, his own little mark. mark. On it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. So how long have you been uh, bartending over there? Um, well, <laughs> so the three legged dog is the story I'm going to tell because um, I was filling in, actually, when you guys met me, uh, I was covering a shift for this wonderful bartender named Blake. And uh, Blake is the reason that I live in New Orleans. And so the three legged dog has been very central to, to how um, my husband and I ended up down here. So I've been over bartending at the three-legged dog on and off for almost two years. Uh-huh. But my husband and I, we lived up in Pittsburgh before. We knew we wanted to move south. I had been to New Orleans once. He'd been to New Orleans a couple times, but we had never come down together. We came down. We did the Bourbon Street and blah, 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 and all the things. And and uh, But our type of bar that we look for is those hole in the walls, mm-hmm. those hidden mm-hmm. little gems like have their stories, the the history. Um, so we found the three-legged dog. Like, this place is amazing. And Blake was our bartender, our oh, very cool. first time down. Okay, okay. So we're like, okay, this is the city we want to move to. Let's go back. So the next month, we were back in New Orleans. And this time, we had lined up all these interviews to see apartments. We had gone all around. And we're very, very lucky. We live right in the French Quarter. So um, we had come down. I think it was like a Thursday or maybe Friday morning. We could only stay till Monday morning. All weekend long, we're running around. We're like, we know we want to live here. We feel it. You know, there's just something about this place. (laughs) But we just couldn't find the place. Couldn't find the apartment that spoke to us in the right price range or whatever. And uh, like, you know what? Let's go back to the three-legged dog. We know we love it there. It's Sunday afternoon. We're probably not finding it this time. We're just going to go and enjoy the rest of our trip. So we show up Sunday afternoon and Blake's there again. And we're like, hey, it's great to see you. We swap numbers and like uh, just... Amazing hospitality, exactly what you're talking about. The city, you get adopted. It's it's very family. And, and bartending in general, it's about community. Like, mm-hmm. I have friends that I were regulars, you know, 10 years ago. Or I, I've had uh, customers turn into landlords, you know, just all sorts of crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we're sitting there having a drink with Blake. And we step outside to have a cigarette. And across the street, pretty much, there's a little two by four sign hanging down from a building with a number. Okay, let's call him. Why not? You know? Yeah. So we call the dude up. We're like, okay, so we see this place. We'd love to see it. We got to leave tomorrow morning. And he's like, well, I can be there in an hour. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This is very serendipitous. It's Sunday afternoon. I'm half in the bag. And that's being generous. Like, we're like, okay, we'll meet you in an hour, which gives us another hour to drink. So uh, we bring our drinks from the three-legged dog, oh, you know, because you can walk and drink down here. Mm-hmm. We bring that over to our uh, apartment viewing, and we literally, like, doors open, we're like, this is it. And we oh. signed the lease that day. No way. That's yeah. crazy. Swear to God. Dude. So, yeah. From it our- was, like, <laughs> like sub- completely meant to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I love when things do that. Yeah. That's it's so cool. And, you know. A lot of times it doesn't click like that, but when it does, you're like, you have to take it. You know, what are the chances? Yeah, you, mm-hmm. like you have to see the the paths that open as they unfold. Yeah, so that's cool. so. A couple months later, you know, we finally get out of Pittsburgh where we're living. We're down living here full time, and uh, I guess I drank enough at the Three Legged Dog. They were like, "You want to work here?" I bartended, you know, years and years before that. So, and then I ended up working with Blake for you know for I think it was nine months. We worked 
Fridays or Saturday, Sunday, Monday, like, and we're 12 hour shifts. So you spend a lot of time with people, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Is that typical for New Orleans? Um, they split it up all sorts of different yeah. ways, but 24 hour bar, we're like, well, you can do three shifts of eight hours, but who wants to work like the four in the morning to like, you know? Oh, right. yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's the gnarliest, or one of the gnarliest parts is like just seeing these bartenders working these like crazy shifts. The one guy, uh, this little cool dive bar near the hotel, his shift was like 10 to 8. Is that Gemini? Yeah. 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 Freaking. What's his name? Uh, Swede. Swede. Swede's a sweetheart. (laughs) I'm telling you, when you go back and see him, ask him about his kilt. There okay. are stories there. Oh, well, <laughs> I feel like that's a challenge, yeah. Yeah, sure we're oh, gonna do that. he was so cool, man. Whole community of bartenders here has been so like receptive mm-hmm. and, and like relaxed and like open to like all the ruckusness that we've imparted upon them, and then like, everyone else, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's been real, I'm really glad that you're here too, because you're the first uh, local bartender that we've had on the show. So we're well. I like, feel so bad, like even saying that, because I've only been down here a couple of years. Oh, still, but, but you get a, you get to see it all, you know. Yeah. Like you've t- bartended for Tales of the Cocktail, right? Does that affect the area a lot? Having all these bartenders from all over the world coming into your guys's yes and no old I square mean, here. There are so many events. Tales is a great one, and the bartenders are phenomenal, and we look forward to it. It's mayhem, but we look forward to it yeah. every year. Are, are there events that are people-wise busier? Absolutely. But, yeah, we were all laughing about it at the bar. Like, we feel like we just had Tales, like, <laughs> <laughs> but in the best way. Like, we still have such great memories of last year. Like, oh, it snuck up on us again. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I could imagine, like, anytime there's big – well, you guys are used <clears throat> to it. There's, like, Jazz Fest – Mardi oh, Gras. Bayou Classic. Yeah. yeah. Mardi Gras. Actually, I tell people and like secrets out now. Mardi Gras is great, but the best time to come down, Halloween. Oh, really? Yeah. Because oh, we do I it can... for like a month and a half, man. You can dress <laughs> up in costume for six weeks and nobody will look at you. I mean, nobody really looks at you sideways anyways when you're in costume down here, but especially. Oh, my God. That sounds like people have whole wardrobes of like seven changes of Halloween costume. That would be oh me. Oh, I would be like every single day something different. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, dude, we got to come back for Halloween. Yeah, it would be something. <laughs> it's like my least Matt's likes, like, like nope. Uh, my least followed holiday, like in a way. Halloween just reminded me. So one of the things I love about New Orleans and bartending in New Orleans, uh, I've been to a lot of different cities, and maybe I'm just not going to the right places. But in New Orleans, there is such a cross section. Like you're going to sit down at a bar, and you're going to meet somebody who's like 75 years old and been down here forever, or you're going to meet, you know, like uh, construction workers. Like uh, you can sit down next to a millionaire and not know it, and to find that, especially like one of my favorite regulars, Miss Sam, like she was a writer and an activist and she's been like arrested for being political and, and, but she just comes to the bar and just wants to hang out and have her beer and, you know, and talk in the back and, and to find that kind of variety so easily. Right. Mm-hmm. Is amazing. But she's also like Halloween. She's like, I got some wigs for you, girl. I got a whole bucket of wigs, you know? <laughs> yeah, it seems like the, the community here, not I mean, not just the bartender community, mm-hmm. but it seems like community here in New Orleans is all like, seem like fun people. Like they enjoy like life, you know, and they're doing stuff that are like fun and colorful and beautiful. They're always kind of game for stuff or they're just like already out there doing things. Like you walk around, everyone seems to be like, like where are we going where are we going let's do this very go that. with the flow oh like. yeah exactly yeah perfect perfect <laughs> do you yeah. guys um as, as a bartending community here do you, do you have a network that of kind of like an organization amongst each other um there are a couple different things like the barman's fund they do a ton of fundraisers um and actually jim and i is like 
the head of that, that a lot of the bartenders there are in charge of organizing that. So there are message boards. Some of it's so unstructured. It shouldn't make sense, but it does. Mm. Like there are all sorts of like Facebook groups and like private things. You gotta like you have to be working here down down here long enough or know somebody to get invited into those things. But it's a lot of safety stuff, which is really smart. Like we have eighty six boards for the entire French Quarter. Oh wow! Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, and like we'll post pictures like, like, hey, this guy just stole money off the bar. Like look out for him. And so you don't hear that story a day later, and when it's too late, like you can immediately pull it up and be like, oh okay, I'll look out oh, for that. This guy, yeah. Uh, but also they the amount of fun fundraising the bartenders and the bars themselves do for the community is incredible down here wow yeah check out the barman's fund it's fantastic awesome. they do kickball tournaments and uh <laughs> dude clearly this is four days in my voice it's like on a rapid decline like <laughs> each day that goes by and on this like i'm sure the listeners are probably like what the fuck is going on over there oh my well, god i mean the air quality down here i mean between the the beer and urine and old crawfish, like just baking on the sidewalk, yeah, you're just inhaling that all the time. So well, the thing so that beautiful. gets me a lot is the air conditioner. The air conditioning is it's killing me. Like it makes me so cold, and then my throat's been so dry, and I'm like, air conditioning. But then we go outside, and I'm like instantly sweaty. So, okay, this is like yeah. Who can't get used to these things? <laughs> the, the polar opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm in here like like 64 degrees. Give it to me. I want to feel like I'm walking into a freezer when I, I walk know. through the door. I know. I run cold everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's so fun. To, it is fun to walk around the city for sure. I mean, like every time I go outside, like yesterday I was feeling it a little bit and it's just like I walk outside and I'm like, oh, it's so much better. Like I'm so much better just moving out there and it makes me want to be active and out and doing stuff. It's well, like, and I, I will that. say like Tails does help bring that because, you know, especially like bartending the crazy hours and, and mm-hmm. there are so many different events there are definitely times where the bartending community is just like oh let's just get through this event like yeah. let's just get through this weekend no tails were like yes here we go strap in yeah right <laughs> well, so you guys bring some of that energy for sure i can imagine if i came here not for tails how if i was going out and like bourbon street and doing that kind of stuff i'd wake up hungover and i'd want to sit in my bed and not do anything <laughs> but tails is like you don't have an option for that right here it's like we're up we're going we have th- this seminar this party this thing we went to a party at where they keep all the mardi gras floats last yeah night. yeah mardi yeah. gras world dude mm-hmm. amazing <laughs> those floats are incredible it's just so much color and like i've seen how they like make them with the machine and everything it's just like a very cool rich culture mm-hmm. i would go back to that um 86th list mm-hmm. um <laughs> <laughs> Let's do that, shall we? I, I just keep thinking about it. Like, ever since you started to say that, I'm like, what is, have, can you think of like, okay, someone took money off the bar. Have you ever had anyone on that 86 list that's done something like really like harebrained? Like, you're like, what the fuck? Okay. So this is like half story, half urban legend. Cause I, you know, like I said, I'm fairly new to the community, but like there was a guy who was a busker down here for years and years and years and everyone loved him. And he was like real sweet, older guy. And uh, he left the state for something i think family related and got pulled over i think is the story so you know don't quote me directly here but they found out he was wanted for murder like uh, 30 years ago oh, oh my god yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's like a permanent 86 yeah. <laughs> yeah that's probably out of your control at that point the police take care of that one sir you are 86 to prison for the rest of your life <laughs> yeah. oh my god why don't judges say that 86 <laughs> you're 86 
to prison. <laughs> Holy crap. No, it only gets awkward on the 86 list when you have to 86 other bartenders, which has happened. Oh, I oh God. I see it. <laughs> 86 people. That was always a pain in the ass. It's oh, like, God. We, don't, we don't like doing it. Right. So it's like, listeners, do your best not to get 86. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, down cool. here, like 86 doesn't mean permanent a lot of times. Yeah, it's like, if you come back and give apologize. it a few months, yeah. you know, cool off for a bit. Then once people start to forget what you did, then you can start coming around nice. again. Uh, as we are wrapping this up, is there anything you'd like to let listeners know? Plug anything coming up? Any, yeah, anything that's interesting to you that people... Um, man, I, on the spot, all I would say is, you know... Come down to NOLA, have a good time, be safe. There there are some things in a city where you drink a lot that just are a little bit common sense, but also you just got to think them through. And, and so don't be afraid to ask your bartender like, hey, I got to walk here. Can you give me directions? Or sometimes, especially if you're cool, like, can somebody walk me there? Like, we are more about keeping our people safe because we want you to have a great time. We want you to come back. So awesome. little things like that. Oh, I forgot to mention uh, that we should have probably said this earlier in the, <laughs> sh- in the show, but uh, Three-Legged Dog serves you blue Gatorade. We have Powerade oh, on the gun. Powerade. Yes. As soon as you Electrolytes so are good. important. Yeah, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, the coolest thing. Like, most bars, it's like, you'll be like, hey, can I get a water or whatever? <laughs> you sit down, the first thing's in front of you is a, a plastic cup. That's just my thing. Blue like, that's just Powerade. what I've learned, you know, especially <laughs> oh, when it says hot out. That. Yeah. So, like, literally, they're like, <laughs> watching out for you there so uh please if you're ever in new orleans you gotta go see emily over at three-legged dog get some crawfish power and powerade yeah and uh Match of course cocktails yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh damn it i forgot how did i forget about that, that was, i know i, I drank like, like five uh, of those things uh if you want to do your instagram handle too people can follow you yeah oh, you have man. one or... i do i do at swedish fish 11 boom, boom. nice there we go awesome <laughs> Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you guys yeah. for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah. Oh, and thank you for these amazing uh, oh. freaking... Yeah. We're just going to forget everything today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Emily showed up at the door just now with a little caddy of four... Um, what are these called? These Slushy are Irish coffees. Uh, frozen Irish coffees. Yes. Yeah, oh from the Aaron God. Rose. Go yeah. get them. That's another one, man. You got it. You, if you're here, you have to get one. This, it's just like, this is what we needed. Yep, it pulls you right back in. The perfect hair of the dog. Yeah. Oh, yeah, give it to me. I'll, I'll take the full dog. I'm going to drink the full dog. Yeah, just give me the dog. Let's uh, go out on a cheers. Let's do it. Frozen coffee All cheers. Right, frozen coffee cheers, cheers thunk, thunk, thunk. Plastic cups. Boom, there it is. Have you had your daily dose of street tales? We're here on the streets. We're talking tales, street tales, and we have another person that we're talking to. And do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Katie Renshaw. Katie, awesome! Thank you for taking some time and doing a little talking with us. What, what's been your best favorite experience so far at Tales of the Cocktail? Uh, well, tale like my favorite overall experience was uh, my first Tales was four years ago when I wasn't a bartender yet. Oh no and way! I, I was brought to Tales by a friend, and I didn't realize the community that was that surrounded bartending in the bar industry. And it, I had always been like a cocktail and spirits nerd and enthusiast. And it's part of what inspired me to finally get into the field. Dude, killer. Yeah. So do you live in New Orleans or? No, you I'm, I'm from Chicago. Here? Oh, yeah. you're from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so then when you arrived, what was the main thing? Was there a spirit or was it was just the bartenders vibes or like what really got the people? You? Yeah, it's the people. 
Yeah. <laughs> your, 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 ta- your tails nails are amazing, by the Dude. way. Those are so good. Thank you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, my friend Gina, she's like a veteran bartender. She. Do you really? Oh, sick. So yeah, is there any other, any other thing you'd like to share with the podcast? No, Tails is awesome. Everyone come to Tails. Shout out to your bar? Oh, yeah. I work at Drum Bar in Chicago. Boom. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking some time with us. Cheers. No problem. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'd like to hear some interviews now because those street tales were so on fire. Let's go to a next interview. Hey, welcome back. We've got another interview coming in uh, from the room studio that we have set up here. Room <laughs> studio. Yeah it's, yeah, it's progressively getting worse and worse as far as like clutter, but we're getting there. We're collecting things. <laughs> yeah, we have. We're doing swag bags everywhere. I got shoes today. <laughs> But, uh, not these ones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we're definitely doing another interview. And today we have uh, Eric Anderson. He is the East Coast, you said? Correct, yeah. East, East Coast brand ambassador for Hendrix Gin. Yeah. So welcome. Thank you. It's great yeah, to be here. The best studio in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. I, think <laughs> I, I knew it. Yeah. I told you, Matt. I knew this was the, the, the tits. <laughs> yeah. That's what they say. Yes. Uh, dude, Eric, thanks so much for taking some time and coming in and talking on these microphones. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, let's just dive straight into this thing. Yeah. Uh, dude, Hendrix Gin. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's, been a, it's been a ride. I've been with the brand for six years now. That's fantastic. Yep. Uh, for those who don't know what Hendrix Gin is, let's look, dive in a little bit about, or a lot about, what the brand is and what you guys represent, like the botanicals and everything that you that goes into it. Absolutely. Yeah, so Hendrix Gin is a most unusual Scottish gin. Uh, it's infused with roses and cucumbers. So it's distilled and bottled in Scotland and uh, uh, using the traditional botanicals such as juniper, um, coriander seeds, uh, uh, angelica root, and um, eight more, mm-hmm. to be precise. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Eleven botanicals in total. Uh-huh. Um, and after we distill it in uh, our copper stills, we infuse it with uh, cucumbers and roses. Whoa. That's like a very distinct characteristic of the brand. Absolutely. But it's also, it's, the process is really intricate, really. And we use two different copper stills to distill the gin. So one is called a, a Bennett still, mm-hmm. and the other one is called a Carterhead still. So the Bennett still, uh, it creates a, like a big, bold, quite robust distillate. And the Carterhead still distills uh, and uh, produces uh, a lighter, a little bit more floral. Yeah, I would say a lighter and a little bit flor- more floral distillate. distillate. That's really interesting. And uh, after that, we blend them together. So we have big, the big and the bold, but we also have the beauty of the more elegant and light. So you do two separate batches. One goes through the one still, the other one goes through the other. That's correct. And... Uh, once you get to the point of distillation that you're happy with on both sides, you put those both together, which gives a really balanced exactly. end product. Yeah, I, I related a lot to yin and yang. We have the big, bold, uh, rich, and then the light, floral, elegant coming together. We also have the rose and the cucumber essence added afterward. Um, it's also a little bit more the green and the red, the floral and the, the herbal. That's how we make it. That's awesome. What was your transition into working with Hendrix? What gave you the interest to like take on that as your brand? Like I started working with Hendrix Gin in bars in 2006 in London. And um, it was always, always a really intricate brand and was always really interested in it. Um, as a bartender, you know, to get to know spirits uh, of all sorts, you're also always... Um, trying to get to know a lot of different spirits, uh, um, not only gin, but, you know, vodkas, tequilas, rums, uh, whiskeys of all kinds. But when I was um, living in Sweden at that time in 2011, 2012, 
I was a, a good friend of the um, global ambassador to Henrik, uh, Xavier Padovani. Mm. And uh, we had, um, well, actually, it, the story really starts here in this hotel, uh, which is more interesting, around wow. 2010, 11. Yeah. So um, I was here in 2011 and with uh, one uh, young bartender then, uh, uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Hult from Sweden. And uh, I, kn I knew Sav from, from back then, uh, Xavier Padovani. And um, I was going to this uh, Hendrix party one night because it's, you know, the most talked about party at Tate's Epic. usually or yeah. the, the William Grant and Sons party. So we were getting ready and uh, and then, you know, Xavier called me and he's like, Eric, um, we needed some more bartenders tonight. Come and shake Ramos Gin Fizzes for us. <laughs> oh, jeez. And, uh, <laughs> like, oh, all right. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And we had put on a little bit more, you know, like a, a little bit nicer clothes. And then, and he said, like, just come with a t-shirt and we'll give you a uniform, basically. Uh -huh. So we quickly changed, uh, grabbed a taxi and we, we got to the event. And it turned out to be 16 or 18 bartenders making uh, the world's freshest um, Ramos Gin Fizz. So we had a cow on site, we had chicken on site. So what? we had the milk. What the heck? And then, yeah, chicken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then, uh, so, and we ended up uh, shaking 800 Ramos Gin Fizz uh, oh one night. Oh my God. But it was oh, a, did you guys do it like the 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 like that classic style where you just pass them down? Yes, yes, yes. So yes. listeners who don't know what Ramos Gin Fizz is, it's a classic cocktail that was invented in New Orleans. Correct. But what yeah. was the hotel? Do you know? Or the yeah, it's the um, well uh, the exact origin. Uh, we have to refer to some spirit historians, but uh, by the Ramos brothers, mm. and uh, we're talking late nineteenth uh, century, mm -hmm. maybe just the turn of the century. Around that time, so over a hundred years ago. Yeah, um, and explain the process of it. Yeah, so it's, it's, a a, it's a fucking it's, process. Yeah, it's a process. That's that's for sure. And the bartenders love and hate uh, the drink yeah, because uh, you can make a few a night, but when you're making a lot of them, it yeah, you can ch cancel your gym membership straight away because <laughs> yeah. it's a workout. Oh yeah, your arms get toned. Yeah, yeah. so it's a so gin fizz is classically with uh, gin, citrus, sugar, uh, shaken with egg white, and uh, and topped with soda water. But uh, a Ramos Gin Fizz has much more layers to it. So uh, you add uh, cream or half and half, and you also add uh, uh, orange flower water mm -hmm. in it. So it brings it's it's a more floral drink, and uh, it brings out the uh, uh, it's it's a really rich drink. I would say, mm -hmm. like in terms of texture. Oh yeah, it's it, like think of. Uh, think of like a lemon meringue pie and the, the, the meringue on top and then in a cocktail form. Exactly. Yeah. With a couple of ounces with, of with Hendrix some, in like, there. Yeah, yeah, with some floral notes to it. It's beautiful. Oh, it's it's a wonderful drink. drink. And back then, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, it I think it was like, what, 12 bartenders would stay on staff? And you have to shake this thing. How, it's like, yeah. what, 10 minutes? Uh, yeah, well, at least a few minutes, mm -hmm. I would say. 10 minutes is, yeah, it's or a like little bit excessive. Or like maybe from start to complete yeah, it, it usually takes, uh, yeah, around that time yeah. if you're in a, in a normal bar. Well, that was by no stretch of imagination a normal bar because we were making just that one drink. And we, I think we were 18 bartenders that night. Did you have one? Did you have like people on different stations? Like somebody's doing like exactly. the building and then they're yeah. sending the, the shaker down? It was uh, Henry T. Ford assembly line all, all over again. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was, it was actually really beautiful. The construction of the bar, it was, uh, it was an assembly line. Wow. But you have to do that uh, high volume cocktail. It's this is how you define high volume cocktail, I suppose. Cocktail mm -hmm. bar. So yeah, that was fun. That was 2011. <laughs> um, and um, 
I've also, in my past, I've studied Chinese in university for many years, and I've um, uh, I've been to China, I've been opening nightclubs in China um, uh, over 10 years ago. So when Xavier Padovani then somewhere in late 2011, early 2012, posted on Facebook that Hendrix Jin needed an ambassador in Hong Kong that speaks oh. Mandarin, I replied within, I think, seven minutes. Yeah, that's that like was your calling it. there. Yeah. 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 So, and that was pretty straightforward. I got the job and moved to Hong Kong straight away. Dude, that's, oh, that's amazing. Rad. Yeah. That is amazing. What, how did you uh, find the differences, well, besides culturally, like um, the influence of cocktailing and bartending comparatively in Hong Kong to the United States? Oh, it's, it's a pretty London, big difference. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, London, Sweden. I think uh, the bar scene in, well, in America really stands out because it is uh, the vastness. There's mm-hmm. so many cocktail bars mm. and it is, it's really integrated into the culture. And it's not so much like that in most European countries and, uh, and definitely not in Asia yet. Well, Japan might be a small exception, but uh, cocktail bars, I was the ambassador for most of East of Asia for, for those four and a half years. And in Hong Kong around, yeah, around that six, seven years ago, cocktail bars started to pop up. And now they're popping up like mushrooms. It's it's really well. You had a uh, huge influence on that. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, I was in the middle of it for for quite a while, and yeah, it's, it was great to be there and contribute and building up the scene. But we we have to realize it it, it was um it's a young industry in Asia mainly, mm-hmm. and we're talking mainly then you know China, Hong Kong, Korea, and the Southeast Asia as well. It's quite a young profession sure um all, all again uh, and like the um distribution's a little more limited right oh yeah absolutely but they yeah you don't have the the range of uh, spirits or of uh, vermouths or bitters um, nearly as much as you have here is hendrix um like pretty like globally distributed yep absolutely we are in uh, i mean it's something between 90 and 100 countries now i would uh, i think the latest wow. figure i heard was 88 and that was a couple of years ago so we we are growing really rapidly and and same same like in America actually we are the the leading super premium gin yeah. in Asia and and like we are here in in America. Absolutely. Oh jeez. Yeah, I mean it's one of those I was talking with Sean earlier. It's one of those gins where people walk up and immediately kind of just ask for it, you know. It's like a good intro gin, but it's not it can be treated as more than that and it definitely should be. It's just like a really like quintessential like mainstay behind bars yeah and it, it's really one of the first and probably the first gin that was made in a in a different way mm-hmm. gin used to be gin and when i talk to bartenders i i bring this up and not all bartenders was tending bar in the 90s like when i started um, gin was a constant and gin was that nobody talked about varieties of gin you could talk about uh one or two different brands but barely yeah there wasn't much like variants no not really it was um it was that and now we well, hendrix was launched in 2000 actually here in america not in the home country in, in scotland and uk when was um, it when was uh, it in, launched in or like uh, 2000 founded, or uh, in the, originally though like uh originally uh if i'm not mistaken actually in boston oh. Uh, oh, wow. obviously quickly coming down to new york but i think it was first up in up in massachusetts cool huh. first time um Got to check that one out, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure we, we, we have there. And then uh, that was um, very early 2000, maybe late 1999. And then in 2003, Scotland uh, and the UK and London and England oh, and all, okay, okay. Uh, most of that. And then it spread quite quickly in Europe and 
Now, I was in Colombia, Cartagena, about three weeks ago, and Hendrix is on fire. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's just everywhere. Yeah, it's like a favorite word become one. Nice. So, uh, it's become like a favorite of sorts. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Accepted widely. Nice. That's yeah, awesome. it all comes down to the, the liquid, really. But you you can have a, a really interesting marketing thing coming for, and, you know, it can be a popular gin for a little bit. But the liquid is its ultimate test mm-hmm. and it tests mm-hmm. the test of time. Yeah, and, uh, it's like people can buy into a, a a brand, but then until you taste the juice, you're not, you know. Yeah, if exactly. If you like the juice, then you're then you're happy. <laughs> the experience must be 360. <laughs> yeah. Um, Leslie Gracie, our our master distiller, she she's a super interesting character. She's absolutely lovely. Um, she uh, sees flavors and aromas as shapes. So she wants to create uh, uh, with Hendrix. She wants to create something that is completely round. And the two different distillation processes, the Carter Head and the Bennett, plus the infusion of cucumber and rose, really helps uh, to create something that is rounded. Huh. And no meaning rounded meaning that no specific botanical is sticking out a lot. Yeah. So we are we are like, like you, you can pick, you can think about it. You're like, what am I tasting? And start like peeling apart the layers of the of the what's happening in the gin, mm-hmm. which yeah. is awesome. Yeah, I think so. I, mean, and I like the concept of like seeing things in shapes rather than yep. flavors. That's cool. And she, uh, we we get to work with her at least once a year as ambassadors. She comes to our workshops, and uh, we go to the distillery uh, about it once a year. And um, and to he- hear her talk, it's it's just like mesmerizing. She she really knows what what. Does she, she ever come to tales? Um, I'm not sure. She's she's been to the US quite a few times. Mm. Um, I'm not sure she's been to tales though. Maybe it's my fifth tales only, so uh, I'm uh, I haven't been to all of them lately. You're doing pretty good. <laughs> no, yeah. You're doing pretty Jeez, good. You're in the pretty middle, good. I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, do you have uh, any crazy stories you want to share from tales, or like in your experience and your uh, you know expertise of bartending and brand uh, representation? Yeah, I've uh, let's see which. Uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been interesting. It was interesting working in Asia. I usually had a translator when I was outside China. So in Korea, Thailand, Malaysia, um, and uh, Japan mainly, yeah. um, there was a, literally a translator attached to my hip when I was uh, uh, when I was presenting for bartenders, and uh, that that was um, that was it was really interesting actually. But yeah, I mean, I've been nightclub bartending for quite a few years, working in student pubs where I started. Yeah, and. Uh, there's a lot of stories there. I think the wildest one was probably when we opened a, a nightclub in South China in 2008. Uh, literally from a concrete, like a concrete skeleton to a fully operating five bar, 20,000 square feet uh, food and beverage operation. Thank um, in Yeah, in Chinese. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like like uh, writing manuals and then teaching all the so you young bartenders. Wow. So you had to like communicate all of the information yeah. of operating this bar. And a lot of these bartenders, I assume, are probably newer to the They're craft, new to the industry, right? yeah. yeah. There were a couple of guys who who had been bar- – we couldn't, like, just bring in completely fresh people. But uh, I kind of like picking uh, staff that doesn't necessarily come from the spirit of bar world. I think it's interesting to me. It's like, look at the guys in, in, uh, in a cafe. Who are the guys who are the most attentive, who looks up and sees the people mm-hmm. and who can communicate? 
we can teach recipes. We can pe- teach people how to shake drinks. You can't mm-hmm. teach attitude. Right. Yes, so, well I've always said the same exact yeah. thing. It's like you can teach anyone to make drinks. You can't teach everyone to bartend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bartending is like, you know, an art in itself versus like making cocktails, you know. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Oh, God. I can't even imagine like having to kind of teach these all these people and like especially for an operation that huge it must have been like pretty impressive yeah it was uh, yeah it was <laughs> a little bit crazy i i told the bartenders like you i've as a I'm, myself as a bartender i've never served a cocktail in my life and i stick to that i've only served guests and uh, i think i changed their, their view a little bit on on hospitality in general and it's really cool because that was in 2008 and i came back in in 2012 13 14 uh, 15 and in the city of shenzhen um, the cocktails I created back in the time, they're still on cocktail menus in most yes. of the bars. Oh, that's, that's amazing. Awesome. And the bars really are still there? Yeah, the yeah. The bar that we open isn't, but there's a lot of... And the, the guys, my top three, four guys, they're running the the bars at the best, oh, the that's best venues awesome. right now. That's amazing, and then just like the that's friendships you make too, and like those processes, yeah. and like it's freaking awesome. It's probably a proud feeling too. It's very proud feeling. Yeah, they, ad- yeah. they address me as uh, Anne Lasher, which is. Uh, uh, teacher Ann. Oh, that's, uh, what is oh, it? That's amazing. Uh, Ann is uh, so my name is Ann Ligua, and Ann is comes from Anderson. Uh-huh. So Ann Lauscher means uh, teacher. Oh, so oh, you God. say name and then uh, you say like, like uh, title, title or, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, that's cool. That's supposed to be a really good feeling. That's incredible. Uh, it's, yeah, it's really beautiful. Great literal, memories from there. Yeah, literal legacy. Yeah. Yep. If that's the- amazing. You know, as we're kind of winding this interview down, is there anything you would like to plug and that's coming up or uh, anything you just like would like any listeners to know specifically about either what you're doing um, or uh, Hendrix, anything that's like off the top of your head that is some information you want to let people know about? Mm. Absolutely. I can start with the the, maybe the obvious ones. We got a lot of uh, uh, we have a new website to start off with, with uh, which is uh, easy to navigate, uh, and uh, a lot of great cocktails at hendrixgin.com. Cool. Where you can uh, uh, you can go for inspiration there for drinks. Um, and uh, I'm a pretty frequent poster on this uh, Instagram thing that everybody does. It's so. <laughs> a little known. Uh, it's, like it, it's like the way yeah. of life now. Yeah, oh my gosh. Dude, I, that's I, blown up. That's how we do like a lot of stuff around here now. Yeah, it's, like it's, it's a thing. Um, and this year is um, the the 30 year anniversary of uh, the movie Cocktail, the drama documentary oh, yeah. with Tom Cruise. And um, conveniently enough, my uh, Instagram handle is young Mr. Flanagan, <laughs> in one word. Um, nice, got that one before so, uh, <laughs> everyone else decided to jump on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, how did you get that? Well, it was my, my mentor and teacher in Sweden uh, who I worked with uh, since uh, 2000, 2001. Uh, he uh, his, his his name is Hans Biel and he runs bar, bar schools in Sweden. He's done it for twenty five years now almost. He um, he always called call me young Mister Flanagan. Oh, cool. Um, when I was his, you know, I almost forced myself on as his assistant. Like, <laughs> what can I do? What can I help you with? What can I do? And then you know, he like, all right, you can help me out with these things. And that's how I started. And like, my my goal was always to teach bartending or yeah. teach bartenders about you know bits and bobs and. Uh, that worked out really, really nicely. I think. Yeah, you you uh, followed your followed your dreams and your 
uh, direction stayed the course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. And now you're killing it. <laughs> well, uh, the ride isn't stopping here. No, and uh, I did four and a half years in Asia. It was a really, really good time. And I felt that um, I was uh, I was, was a good friend of uh, Jim Ryan, the previous uh, US uh, national ambassador. And of course, with Charlotte Voice, our director of advocacy. And they, they recommended me to come over and work on the New York team for Hendrix. And uh, that was Tales two years ago. And uh, yeah, I moved here in uh, about 18 months ago to the country. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank oh. you so much. You guys heard it. Like, uh, follow the Instagram, yep. Young Mr. Flanagan, and check out Hendrix's website and learn some of those damn cocktails, you know? Get yeah. drinking Hendrix. And don't be afraid of gin. Enough of this, I'm afraid of gin thing. <laughs> no, no. A uh, vodka drinker is a gin drinker in training. I think uh, I might have stolen that one from. Uh, Angus Winchester, um, <laughs> but uh, it is, and he's also a great, a great source of inspiration for me. But uh, it's very, very true. Yeah, so don't awesome. be afraid of gin. Gin makes really, really good cocktails. Like for real, the best. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eric. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks thank for taking for time out of me. the day. God knows, awesome. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's pretty busy for you. Thank you so much. Pleasure and honor to be here. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, to you guys. Thank you. Cling. <laughs> yes. Do some more uh, sweet street tales. Sweet street tales. Street tales. Street tales. All right, let's do it. Here we are on the streets of New Orleans, Talk Tales podcast. We've got these gentlemen cornered, ready to tell a story. Cornered indeed. Yeah. Yes. We're, Shanghai, as, as well. said, we're a few drinks in. <laughs> <laughs> Shanghai did the stories. Yes, yes. Well, um, uh, so I've been a bartender for a number of years now. I've worked at a number of neighborhood spots. I actually worked near um, a hotel downtown Boston in Beacon Hill. And I actually, uh, that first place I worked was a good neighborhood bar, kind of a gastro pub, if you will, but across the street from the hospital. So you'd see people in town for less than happy reasons. So you learn to kind of not ask too many questions, but offer a lending ear for that certain person who needs a minute to kind of calm down and and, then get back to their their even keel. But uh, working the day bar one time, I think it was like a Tuesday afternoon, slow, slow afternoon. This old dude walks in, white hair, kind of stooped over, slow walk but comes in and just asks for a seat at the bar, sits down, and orders a Manhattan. Sure, sir, here you go. Make him a Manhattan, sits down, slow sip, no gulp, just enjoying his drink. Very, very quiet guy. So I'm kind of curious about him, wonder why he's so, like, he just seems to be in his own little world. And uh, he has that drink, finishes it, asks politely for another one, tips really well, very polite, keeping himself. And uh, in, in that neighborhood, in the afternoon, a dude sitting by himself, drinking a Manhattan, is typically there for a reason. You know, so I'm kind of wondering what's going on. All of a sudden, about 15 minutes later, the front door almost gets blown off its hinges by this irate woman. And she outweighed him by easily 50 pounds. I mean, she she could have thrown him sideways through a wall. <laughs> so I'm sitting there like, oh, okay, let's go see what she wants. Walk over, and she grabs me by the collar, pulls me at her level because she's a bit shorter than I am. Um, and she's like pointing to the old gentleman, how long has he been here? I'm like, whoa, uh half an hour i'm not sure why what's what's going on like how many drinks has he had um i made him in manhattan he's had number two right now he's like god damn it can i swear on this thing yeah. oh right. yeah right, definitely well, <laughs> fucking right. uh, so Fuck yeah you can my immediate thought is that he's uh done something wrong or he's you know wronged her in some way and she's trying to get him back or he's skipped out on her turns out uh the entire family had convened to bring this poor gentleman into rehab Oh, and no. he, they had brought him across the street to the <laughs> hospital, to the rehab clinic. 
And he, in his infinite seventy-year-old wisdom, had found a way to slip the entire family, run to the nearest bar, find the nearest bartender, and order the first drink he could think of. Which is <laughs> so he was sitting there at my bar, just hanging wow. out. And she told me this whole story, almost like just like, fear, just like making her skin boil. She was so mad. So I walk over, I'm sir, I'm really sorry. You gotta, you gotta pay your tab and leave. He's like. I figured this was happening sooner or later. <laughs> so he paid his tab tip really well, and they left. Oh, my <laughs> That's God. About it. At least yeah. he did the tip right. Like, he's been yeah, in a no, bar he, he too before. He gets it. He gets it. He's an experienced guy. He's an experienced guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Justin Dibble. Awesome. I work in downtown work? Boston. I work now at the Liberty Hotel on Beacon Hill. It's an old jail built in 1851. We're in town for tales, so we're down here for a couple of days. Uh, but it's a really cool building, Forest Diamond Hotel, uh, built around the, 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 the skeleton and bones of an old jail built in 1851. 298 rooms. It's a really, really cool spot. Five-story atrium. If you're ever in town, if you're ever in Boston, come by. Dave Miller, bar manager. Justin Dibble, bartender there. It's a great spot, but hook it up. Oh, yeah, man. Definitely. Awesome. Great story and great to meet you. Thank <laughs> you as well. Thanks a lot, guys. I Have appreciate a good it. Yeah, pleasure. Good luck with yeah. your adventure here. Yeah. Oh, we're, we'll try. <laughs> we'll try to stay sober. <laughs> Cheers, bud. Thank you. You know what I like about Street Tales? That they lead into interviews? Yeah. Okay, hey everyone. We're here. We're doing another interview. Matt, how you feel about it? Feel pretty good. Yeah, uh, survived the last night. So yeah, my voice plus. is a little uh, scratchy right now. We've been here at Tales of the Cocktail, living it up, the dreams. Yeah, we're living all of the them. dreams. Mm-hmm. And we have air conditioning everywhere, and air conditioning affects me poorly. <laughs> I'm loving it. It's I, not the booze. Necessary. I swear, it's the air conditioning. But yeah, let's uh, get right into this. I'm going to, uh, it's my honor, of course, uh, to introduce our next guest. We have Marco Montefiore with Amaro Montenegro. Hey, shut that, up. How was it? Did it, I do okay? It was, it was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm aware nice. that the pronunciation uh, about Montefiore Montenegro is a little bit confusing, but Shana, you did great. Thank you. And uh, it's a pleasure being with you guys. Thank it's you. a real honor. Yeah. The introduction is always like the scariest part because I'm like, I, I'm, I'm going to screw it up. I know I am. But oh well, we, we made it through. Welcome. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. Actually, I'm really envy of people who has a short last name because every time they ask me how do you spell your last name is M O N T. It's really it's really complicated. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we made it through, and I'm glad that you're here because you have some awesome information to share with everybody. Uh, do you want? Let's just get right into uh, Amaro Montenegro is the brand you're representing, and you know all about it, all the things. Um, let's see what got you interested in representing this brand? Okay, for me, uh, I consider myself really lucky because um, in my company, I've just changed three companies and I always worked for companies that I deeply love. And I am with with Montenegro since uh, 2012. Wow, it's almost six years. Wow, (laughs) that's a lot of time. And uh, Montenegro is a pretty interesting company. For a European standard, it's a startup because we have opened the company only in 1885. Obviously, I'm kidding. It was (laughs) 130-something years ago. So the company is a company with uh, a lot uh, of heritage. Wow. Um, It's still... uh, What's really interesting of Montenegro is that we don't outsource anything. Everything is made in-house. So we are a real distillery uh, with a real master blender. 
we produce product, we manufacture liquors, and this is what is really interesting uh, with uh, Montenegro. But uh, we don't consider the past uh, in a nostalgic way. We consider the past in a critic way. So we always want to move forward and we always want to move ahead. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the reason why I so, deep, I so deeply love Montenegro, because it's a fair compromise between heritage and uh, innovation. And if you ever came to one of our party, you know what I mean. <laughs> we can combine a lot of fun with high quality cocktails. So it's a pretty cool company. It's a pretty cool uh, brand. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. That <laughs> so for li- listeners who are not familiar with uh, the Amaro, do you want to give them a li- or even just like the base of Amaro, do you want to give them a little like idea of what exactly we're talking about? Like what makes up Amaro Montenegro? Yes. Thank you for the question. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate that. So Amaro, it's a really fun category. You have to consider that uh, whenever you think about vodka, whenever you think about tequila, whenever you think about whiskey, in my personal opinion, you know more or less what to expect. We are talking about uh, uh, liquors that came from a distillation of certain product made in a certain way in certain places. Whenever you talk about Amaro, the category is so diverse. You start, uh, for example, from Angostura and you finish to, um, I don't know, to other Italian Amaro. But they are all different in terms of tasting profile, alcohol percentage, color, bottles. So it's something that is really different. Just consider that, for example, uh, Jägermeister, Montenegro, and Branca, they all belong to the same family. Mm-hmm. So the category is really diverse. But what this category has in common? First thing is that... Uh, the unicity. So we're talking about uh, an alcohol base infused with botanicals. Amaro translated in uh, English means bitter. So the two key elements of the category is uh, the botanicals infused with uh, infused, boiled or macerated with a liquor base and the bitter side. The bitter side is something that is really interesting because uh, from an European point of view, Bitter is a key element uh, in the Italian food culture, in the mm. Italian beverage culture. Think about whenever you drink a Negroni. The bitter side is something that is really relevant. But uh, in America, it's something that is getting popular now because the bitter side is something that is not really popular in the United States. So this is the reason why the category is getting so interesting because uh, Americans are starting to love the bitter side. And this is fantastic because uh, all this kind of uh, exchange of information between Europe and US is something that is really interesting. And so it's really interesting to see this uh, category that is huge in Europe uh, raising a lot in the United States. And we're really happy about, uh, about it, especially because uh, our biggest fan, thanks God, are the mixologists. That, are really, that they really have adopted uh, uh, not only Montenegro, but all the Maro category as a, a loved category. So it's something that uh, is really loved by um, the mixologist. I know for me, I am so happy that we are all like getting into the bitter side of like flavors and and uh, making cocktails with Amaro's, specifically Montenegro's, like a fantastic ingredient. And it gives the cocktail so much more depth and interest, really. It, you know, it's a game changer, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It definitely like adds a lot to like cocktails and the fact that like they're being used more in cocktails is really cool in my opinion. Yeah. Cuz I feel like a lot of people I don't know, maybe not could be intimidated a little bit of it uh to put like to mix it, but it's it's fantastic and it's a lot of it makes a really delicious drink. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And on the rocks, you know, or neat, whatever <laughs> whatever you preferred way. <laughs> um so you I've always I've heard of the late, especially since we've been here at Tales of the Cocktail that 
Montenegro throws a hell of a party. Is this true? Uh, I don't know. Yes, I, I hope so. I hope so. Um, we really <laughs> love it. We have a, let's say this, we have a, I don't want to say we have a dark side, but we have a fun side because uh, we don't like to consider ourselves too much seriously. The company has been established in 1885 by Stanislaw Kobianki, who was an aristocrat. So it's a company with a lot of heritage, but we like also to do party. And uh, usually when we do party, we have a lot of fun. For example, <laughs> uh, it was uh, really fun because last year, uh, we threw a party at Taste of a Cocktail, and uh, I still remember when we have decided to do it, it was something like January 2017, and we said, okay, let's do an intimate party with a few guests. Uh, let's have people having an experiential uh, party. And we ended up having a party with almost 1,000 people, oh, with wow. the House of Yes, with Burlesque Dancer, Unicorn, uh, <laughs> strange characters and it was funny oh my because gosh. yeah it was funny because i have invited a couple of uh, friends and they told me i'm unable to find your party there is a bunch of people in the street uh, everything looks really strange and say no this is my party yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like charmingly weird yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, and sometimes we lose uh, we lose control uh, of uh, of the situation because, um, for example, uh, yesterday I landed in New Orleans and I was checking out what to do uh, tonight and I start to scroll the programs of taste of the cocktail. But actually, this year is pretty fantastic, and I found this party at Bartonique named Le Stregerie. And they said, oh my God, this party is so cool. I really would like to go over. It looks fantastic. It looks a lot of fun. But uh, I was envy because I thought I, would like, I wish to sponsor this party because it's pretty interesting. And then after 10 minutes, I realized it was my party. <laughs> <laughs> so I was feeling really stupid. I was saying, oh my God, I would like to sponsor it. It's cool. Who is doing this? So please. And you're uh, already on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> check it out, our party. Everybody, Everybody's welcome. And um, we really hope to see you on Friday 20. Yeah. 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 Ooh, that's gonna be a blast. Oh god. It's gonna be it's gonna be a day. It'll be nice to hopefully unwind. <laughs> unwind? Yeah, Jesus. I don't think it's that's gonna, what we're gonna be doing. Yeah, we're probably gonna be working. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um so with is it is there like a flavor profile that you could describe Montenegro like specifically or like for people who've never had it that uh I mean bitter is definitely the one of the qualities, but there's also like it's a herbaceous um like botanical type on the sweeter end of things maybe would yeah, you say it's on the sweet end of things to a degree well absolutely that's yes. counterintuitive to the bitter part of it but absolutely yes uh, any anyway anything i'm going to say is not going to improve the tasting profile so mm-hmm. what i recommend you to do is just to try it it's um what's really interesting of amaro montenegro is that uh, it's really versatile amaro um when you drink it the first time you think oh my god it's too sweet for me then immediately became bitter, mm. leaving a lot of aftertaste where you can feel a lot of herbaceousness, a lot of botanicals. So technically, it's sweet bitter with a lot of botanicals at the end. And this is a pretty cool spot because uh, it's uh, an amaro that uh, I don't want to say easy, but it's really versatile. It's good for everybody. It's good for uh, somebody who wants to sip something really complicated and sophisticated, but it's also good for somebody who just wants to drink something good. Mm-hmm. So it's complex, easy at the same time. But uh, the predominant uh, tasting profiles uh, that you can clearly feel, uh, actually Montenegro is made with 40 botanicals. But uh, if I have to describe it, you can clearly feel oranges, you can clearly feel cinnamon, you can kill free oregano. But again, the best way to describe it, it is complex, versatile, sweet, and bitter. Mm. Yeah. 
Nice. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it does. It all comes together really well. <laughs> uh, do you actually employ any bartenders to kind of make drinks based around the product or is it more just kind of the brand itself that it's kind of like a representation um we're a really easygoing company we don't have a clear uh, cottage strategy we consider ourselves as producers mm -hmm. so we produce montenegro and then we give it uh, to the bartenders and they say okay you are the man do whatever you want we are not the guy who invented the xyz montenegro drink mm -hmm. Um, actually, we have a super talented brand ambassador here in the United States. His name is Salvatore Tafuri, who came out with um, a bunch of super good cocktails. My favorites, for sure, uh, are the Monte Mule, that is, a Mon that is a Moscow Mule made with Montenegro and Mezcal, that is really no. yummy. Then uh, I like a lot the Eminem, um, that is a shot with Montenegro and Mezcal. These two one are my two favorites. But is it, uh, uh, in the, you do uh, like half mezcal, half Montenegro. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You can uh, you can do it on the rocks or you can do it as a shot. It's something really intriguing because the sweet and bitter tasting profile with the smokiness of Montenegro really really uh, pair in a fantastic way. But in my personal opinion, the best way to drink it it's on the rocks by itself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. After. Well. Yeah. Let's get it. Like the. It has digestive qualities, right? It's like really nice for after dinner. Yes, yes. Um, whenever you think about Amaro, you have to think about Italy. In Italy, we have 250 independent distilleries, and Amaro is the national drink of uh, Italy. But usually, we drink Amaro as digestive. But uh, at a certain point, uh, around 2005, 2006, we've seen uh, all the uh, top mixologists in the world using Amaro as dominant modifier for cocktail. And we're really happy with that mm -hmm. because uh, if a cool guy love you, it's it's done. It's it's fantastic, and uh, this is a trend that is lasting since fifteen years. And we have understood that making cocktails with amaro it's uh, a really good idea, especially with Montenegro, that is uh, sweet and bitter. So give to the cocktail this kind of bitter side element that is really intriguing, is really interesting. But uh, yes, amaro in Italy is drunk uh, as digestive. And uh, this is the only way how people drink Amaro in Italy. So do you think that the um, the trend of mixing with Amaro into the co in cocktails, was that kind of uh, an American thing? Or has that like translated worldwide where bartenders like globally are doing the same kind of thing? Whenever, whenever you think about cocktail, obviously you have to think about America. Is where cocktails have been invented. Cocktail is uh, something for everybody. And this trend has been started to the United States. And uh, from uh, a bar slash cocktail point of view, everybody uh, consider America as a benchmark. So we're really glad that this trend started in New York, in LA, uh, also New Orleans, and then it started to become a global, a global, a global trend. It's kind of trickled over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I respect a lot the bartenders from all around the world. But uh, obviously, whenever you think about fashion, you think about Italy, France, and maybe UK, but whenever you think about cocktail, you think about United States. Yeah, that's a mm. rich history here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, events, current events, you know, included like this this event uh, and all the events happening at Tales are just like, and the, the direction this tale seems to be going is that really cool kind of, you know, like open hospitality, like including like hotels, bars, restaurants, and they're all incorporating these amazing drinks and cocktails and bartenders. I think it's really, really pretty, pretty cool so far. So. Oh, dude, yeah, yeah, we're meeting amazing people all from all over the world. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> so cool. Yeah, um, Marco, is there anything you would like to <clears throat> plug or let any listeners know um, before we run out of time with you? Uh, 
like anything upcoming that people could be looking out for or any information that was, you know, like specifically people maybe who don't know about Montenegro. Oh, yes. We, um, I'm really happy to announce that uh, the Montenegro family is uh, getting bigger because we just released uh, the new bottle of Amaro Montenegro. It's uh, a small improvement uh, of the bottle. The design is still the same, but we have removed the plastic governor, and this is uh, something really interesting for the bartenders. And also, uh, tomorrow, uh, it is uh, July 19. For the first time in the history, we are kicking off uh, uh, Aperitivo Select in the United States with Francesco Lafranconi. Uh, Aperitivo Select is the original ingredient of the Venetian Spritz. It's a red bitter from Venice. And we're really happy about it. Cool. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I'm going to keep my eye out for that tomorrow. <laughs> Matt, do you have any other questions? No, that's awesome. I'm, I love the brand, honestly. Like at the bar that I work at, we have like very like high-end spirits and select spirits. And, you know, it's always fun to mess around with and, and like recommend because it's just, it's, I, it's one of my favorites and that's not just, you know, saying that. <laughs> like, Thank you. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I'm like actually like really enjoy that, you know, the Amaro and it's, it's yeah, it's, it's the Rock's way is beautiful. So it's my <laughs> his, preferred. His family's really into it too. Oh God. They go yeah. out, what is it, on Thanksgiving or something? You guys go out? Oh yeah, out? it's my mom's favorite and like every, every <laughs> Valentine's Day we lined up shots of it and it was just like, oh yeah, it's her, it's her thing. She gets super excited about it. And so so, so we, and we make sure to send you a bottle. Oh yeah, I mean, she would love that. Oh my God, she'd flip like she just explode <laughs> she'd be so psyched about that kind of thing fantastic yeah thank you so much seriously uh, yeah, Marco, for, for thank you so much for time. taking time with us and uh coming to sit in our amazing hotel room and talk about <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Mauro because you know i love talking about tomorrow so mm-hmm. thank you so much it was yeah. a pleasure and honor thank, thank you, you so, so much, much. Yeah. yeah cheers cheers hey how about another street tale Okay, who do we have here? Hi, I'm uh, Caitlin Patterson. Caitlin, nice to meet you. Um, So I hear you have an interesting story about how you got into bartending. So I moved to New York when I was 21, straight out of college. I didn't have a job, and my friend was working at this bar, and he was basically a busboy, but they didn't have food, so it was just like a glass runner. And he wanted to go to a show and, like, see some band play. And he was like, hey, do you want to do this because... I don't, like, I can't, and nobody can cover. And I was like, sure. And then he was like, cool, they'll pay you 60 bucks under the table and get you drunk. And all you do is bring empty glassware to a bar back in a very small bar. Sick. It's super simple. And I was like, sure, okay. So I did that, and that led into bar backing and bartending and then kind of falling into the cocktail world through Craigslist, oddly. But <laughs> Craigslist! But the Shout guy out. who got this job that I, like, covered for got it from Twitter. So somebody had posted, like, hey, we need a glass runner, and he, like, randomly got that job from Twitter. So, like, all of my friendships and all of the people I know through this crazy world, can you can go back far enough, and it's all owed to Twitter. <laughs> Thanks, Twitter. Thanks, Twitter. <laughs> Changed Man. my life. It's a little weird. Fantastic, dude. That's amazing. Cool shirt, by the way. Thanks. Yep. Slayer. Slayer. I just saw Slayer. It was last show. Damn, yeah, a guy on the good. street complimented me. He was like begging for money. He was like, Slayer, I haven't seen a shirt like that in a long time. You have a bust day, ma'am. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for spending some time and Thank telling you some tales. Yeah. All right. Street tales. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about my vocal quality on this one, guys. It's okay. Thanks, Matt. 
Hello. This is a, another interview we're doing. We're on the last day right now. And as you guys are listening, you're hearing my voice rapidly decline. It's incredible what this place is doing to me. <laughs> um, we are here at uh, Bavolo Gas and Lighting. It, we're in a, like, a workshop. Uh, visually, it is quite amazing. There is tools Metals. It has like a faint smell of gas. It's, it's, it's like it's really incredible. It's, yeah, it's like an old school workshop. It's fantastic, and we are doing one of the most awesome interviews right now. Uh, we have Pete Von Lionhorse with us, who is the master distiller at Bowles Geneva. That's correct. Hi. That's correct. How are you doing? That's oh. correct. <laughs> I did I do it? I did it. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Even with your voice now? <laughs> I know. It's so embarrassing. Um, but I'm kind of excited to hear how the audio from the day one to the very last day of us being here, how it's going to sound. <laughs> it's going to crack me up a little bit. But thank you so much, Pete, for taking some time out and talking with us here in this amazing space. My totally pleasure. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I think the best way... Uh, to get into this let's, let's talk about the product real quick and um, and let listeners know kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about Geneva because there's uh, we have a lot of listeners that may or may not be familiar with the product itself so do you want to give them an explanation of how much what? time do you give me uh, we could talk as long as you want okay <laughs> 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 because it's a very long story uh, uh, as you know Geneva is uh, products which is already for ages known in uh, Holland, Belgium, and in particular countries all over the world. And uh, to give you an example, that we think that in 1850, 1860, Geneva was, uh, for example, six times bigger than gin in the U.S. And it was a basic for uh, all kinds of cocktails. Um, uh, Jerry Thomas wrote a book about uh, cocktails, and he used gin, but later on, People like David Wonders found out that the gin he mentioned was in fact uh, a Geneva. Oh, what? Not all of them, but all, uh, the recipes were not, could not be made with the gin, so he could have used Geneva, although he wrote it down as gin. So what we are doing now, since Bolt started 2008, and now we are doing it all together with our, our colleagues and competitors in Holland, so we're colleagues now, and later on, we are competitors again. But <laughs> we are trying to promote Geneva and to tell what Geneva is. And let me give me the chance to give you, uh, in a few words, the category of Geneva. Mm -hmm. Geneva has a, a juniper distillate that's regulated by law. And it has a so-called malt spirit. Mm -hmm. Those are the two important parts to create a Geneva. Next to that... Each distiller can use an own botanical distillate. And how many botanicals he use, it's up to him. What kind of botanicals he uses is up to him. So you have a huge variety of taste in Geneva based on this botanical mix. But the basic is always the same. And we have some examples over here. I'll show you uh, hopefully later. Yes. Uh, where you see that if you have a different amount of this malt spirit in your liquid, your taste is completely different. So it creates, you even give you, give a bartender, for example, if we, if we focus on bartenders, it gives them a great possibility to be very creative in their drinks they make. You know, they could, you couldn't use one, you could use different type of Geneva's to make your, your cocktail. Mm -hmm. So, 
that's in basic the the the, the product Geneva. That so. The... We, uh, may I may I continue? Oh, sure. Sorry. We uh, we lost our position. Uh, maybe through uh, world wars, prohibition, or whatever. What? So we lost our po uh, position in in the states or in other parts of the world. And uh, since 10, 15 years, we're trying to recover the, this 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 market. And we we see bartenders are enthusiastic about this product. At the moment, they know what they can do with it. So we have to to learn them how to make a nice cocktail with that particular Geneva. And then later on, it's their own creativity which makes other cocktails. And that's the good thing. Because we like them to support to make great cocktails with our product. But it must be their idea. Yeah. Not so. only, we help them just to give them a few cocktails. We have, for example, a red light Negroni over here. That's an example. It's a very nice cocktail, but it's used as an example what you can do with it. And later on, they use their own creativity to make their own products. Absolutely. So, absolutely, that's. Um, I mean, Geneva. I was introduced to the product. I want to say maybe six years ago, and I wasn't familiar with it beforehand. And the the rich history of it is like the most fascinating thing. And I mean, as far as like the product itself to make cocktails. And to sip on too, like on the rocks is fantastic as well. Exactly, exactly. Well, um, that's my preference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like by um, historically, how would it be uh, like consumed? The from well, in in fact, um, we have here some some glasses. Mm -hmm. We uh, the so-called tulip glasses, and in uh, the basic countries, uh, the Netherlands and Belgium. Um, people drink it from the tulip glasses. Okay. And the funny thing is, if you come to a, a bar in Amsterdam, the, the counter is quite low. And we Dutch want value for money, so we don't <laughs> accept that you fill the glass only half. <laughs> you have to fill it totally to the brim. Okay. <laughs> and if you pick it up, you're spoiling your Geneva. So you oh, put what? It, you put it, I'll, I'll show you later on. Okay. You put it over there, fill it totally to the brim, and you have to bow have the first nip, slurping, we call it, uh -huh. slurping. And then you can pick up your glass and say cheers or prost or whatever. Uh, yes, <laughs> sounds like yes. how I drink martinis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's the way people people drink it in, in, uh, in Holland. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I'm glad that we know that. That's awesome. Yeah, that'll be, yeah. I'm so then, yeah, when we yeah. get this podcast to Holland, we'll know how to fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please do come over and show you. Oh, yeah. That'd be, yeah, yeah. Be delightful. Like but uh, there's a lot of history about Geneva because it started in, uh, as far as even we know now, uh, the first Geneva's were about 1600. And we think that the Geneva from that period was 100% of this malt spirit I just mentioned to you. Mm -hmm. Of course, the, the, the quality control they did, but it was not at the level we are doing nowadays. Uh, maybe the the variation in taste was a little bit little bit more than we want to have it now because we want to have always the same product. And in about 1820, we we have a recipe. It goes back to 1820. That's that's bottle that oh, particular mm -hmm. bottle. Clear one. Mm -hmm. um, we saw that the amount of this malt spirit went back to about 60 percent. Don't ask me what the reason was. I don't know, but we saw it in the old, we have old we have old recipe books and we see it over there. That's 
that 60%. So in uh, Bolts started in 2008, introducing that particular Geneva in the States, and we called it the 80-20 recipe, the original Geneva, and we think it is. Oh, and wow. later on, there no was a, a development of all kinds of other things. And what also happened in that period, that was the first column still was used. You normally you still in a pot still, mm-hmm. but you can distill in a column. So you, it's a continuously distillation. So it gives you another other product. Mm-hmm. Is Geneva typically always column still, or does, is there a no, pot still too? No, 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 no. Uh, you only use a column still when you have huge amounts. Oh, okay. Uh, and in principle, this malt spirit is made in a three-step uh, distillation after the fermentation. I see. People use grain as a basic. Uh, Both use uh, wheat, rye, and corn as a basic. There are other distillers who use only wheat or only rye or other grains, but there's always a grain. And there's always, after the fermentation, there's always a three-step distillation in pot stills or maybe the, the first one in a column still and the second and the third one in a pot still. And then you end up with an alcohol percentage of about between 40 and 80 percent. Okay. I have to uh, correct myself a little bit <laughs> because we as balls, we distill it at 47 percent because we think that's the most original uh, malt spirit. Uh-huh. But nowadays it's allowed by regulation that you go to 40 to 80 percent. So that's uh, what you have to know. That's really mm-hmm. cool the, the, that you guys, the, the original recipe has been passed down for all those years and like um, that people hand down these, these things to the next generations. It's like a gift. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, um, exactly. For you, what, how long have you been in the distilling business? I've, I've been in the distiller now for 30 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. What was your inspiration to get into this business? Just another job. <laughs> <laughs> it seems that a lot of people have started out trying to impress a girl or two. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how that works out. No, I was working on a governmental laboratory, uh, being an analytical chemist, and well, sort of midlife crisis, you can mention it. Uh, I changed to uh, to the still spirits company, and in uh, in a few years, uh, my focus was totally on uh, Geneva because. People were, if you are on a birthday party, people are talking about whiskey and cognac and rum and so on and so on. And nobody was talking about Geneva. And I, I, I yeah, Geneva. I said, do you, by the way, know how Geneva is made? It's as basic as whiskey, maybe even more natural. And so I, I loved to make Geneva late, later on, so in a few years' time. And uh, I'm still proud that we make one of the most original Genevas, uh, which are available now in, in the market. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, That's okay. It. My, <laughs> it's my baby. It's my baby. It's your baby. It's my you baby. definitely can tell the care. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. so awesome. Um, I, like, I love speaking with people who have found a path that's like a very direct path and a vision of like what they want to do and i think it's really um inspirational like for me and like anyone who's listening like to like let them if like let's say somebody was listening who 
was wanting to get into the path of distilling. Do you have any advice that you would want to give them? Uh, advice to give in distilling. Yeah, but the, the first thing I think you need is uh, you, you must love the product which you're working with. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you consider it just as an ordinary product, then your, your motivation is not there. You should be enthusiastic. You should be enthusiastic for the, the quality of the grains you're using. You should be enthusiastic for the, the type of juniper berries you're using. If you make a, a mix of botanicals, you're, you're, each time you're testing, you're, you're, uh, 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 your individual ingredients to be sure that you make the same product. Imagine, we, do, we spend so much time and, and effort to, to encourage people to use Geneva. And imagine that we made a mistake in our quality control. And you buy a bottle of Geneva, which is not up to your standard, what, what you expect. All the efforts are gone in right. one step. Mm -hmm. right. So the quality control part, although it sounds very easy, it's maybe the most important thing you, you can do. You have to make to take care that you, each time you make the same product of the same quality. Otherwise, you're disappointing people. Right. That's the worst thing you can do. Mm. And it takes that like specific passion to keep that in in, in play. Uh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's I know it's like the passion that you show through is is incredible. It's really cool to see like just how I don't know. There's a lot of technical aspects that seem to go into a lot of these spirits, and specifically, it seems Geneva, and yet there's like these other aspects that come into play, like the like just knowing just by working and, and you've been in the business for a long time just knowing yeah. like specifically just how minute like a little detail like that can change the whole product yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> shall i give you an example yes yeah. please well if we if we uh, make our uh, a grain mix you know the grain doesn't contain any sugar so you have starch in the grain so you have to convert the starch into fermentable sugars uh, it's done with a malt the enzymes of the malt take care of that and you have your um, fermentable sugars and you add your yeast and normally after three days all your sugars are gone they made alcohol and carbon dioxide and of course next to the alcohol which we call ethanol they also have a lot of other ingredients other alcohols methanol propanol butanol but also aldehydes esters fatty acids call them mm -hmm. now what we do after this fermentation, we have a three-step distillation. And after the third distillation, we always check the batch which comes out of the still with our taste panel. And I saw that sometimes the taste panel was rejecting the batch. And I wonder why. What, what, we, we couldn't find out why. The batch was rejected, okay, because what I told you before, quality control is the basic of everything we do because the taste should be okay, mm -hmm. so there's no risk. But, but looking, what, what happens? And we made the fermentation two days longer, just over the weekend, to make it easy. Oh, wow. And then you think it's completely crazy, because there's no sugar, nothing should happen. But what happened, that the yeast created some elements which are very important for the fine taste. Those elements were esters and fatty acids. We checked it analytical with the GC, gas chromatography, you know, you know how it works. 
Mm. More or less. More okay. or less, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we, you, saw, you see all these ingredients and you can measure them and you compare it with your taste panel results. And then we saw that after these five days fermentation, the panel never refused the batch anymore. So and that was it like was due to the fact that the ester level and the fatty ester level was higher. Just So finally we made a choice. We made a choice, although... Uh, there was a lot of discussion because you, you, you can imagine that from three days to five days is less efficiency. So you lose a lot of your uh, production capacity. Mm -hmm. But we decided to go there for five days fermentation. And from that day on, I can say that maybe one batch in 15 years has been rejected, but the rest was okay. So this <laughs> one example, how careful you can be with your quality and how, in fact, a small step can guarantee a much better quality and a much better taste, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just like the risk that the risk that that could entail is is like incredible. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, like, you, you 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 couldn't think about of it. You only do the test and you think of maybe it's a possibility. You do the test, you find out, you test everything very thoroughly, and then you find out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> this is like so minute, like these yeah. details can be. Yeah, oh. it's a beautiful product, you know. Oh, definitely. And the other one, we we have also a, a wood matured one, mm -hmm. and um, if you put it on a on, on a wooden cask, on a new wooden cask, you extract some some elements from the wood. Mm -hmm. And one of them is tannin. You know tannin yes. from from yeah. wines, yeah. With, mm -hmm. uh, and tannin is a little bit bitter, but due to the processing of oxidation. The tannins will never disappear. There will always be some tannins left in your liquid, although you keep it there for five, ten years on a barrel, because that's the processing, mm -hmm. is oxidation. Mm -hmm. And um, so when we put a liquid for the first time on a new barrel, we do it only for a very short period, only for six to eight weeks. Okay. To be sure that the tannin content is not too high, mm -hmm. because then it's too bitter. And you can't remove it, so... Yeah, then you'd be... You just have it. And you have, just, you have it. Yeah. You have to live with it, but you don't want to live with it yeah. because <laughs> it's too, too bitter. Mm -hmm. So th those are the things you have to learn to, to, to be very critical in all those steps you, you're doing. Yeah, mm -hmm. trial and error. Yeah. And then learn from, yeah. learn from mistakes yeah. and yeah. move forward yeah. and find the right yeah. path. Yeah. That's really cool. So it sounds very easy, but it isn't. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I'm like, heart's beating, I feel like. <laughs> just, just, like just, Matt is stressed out. I'm <laughs> like trying to process just like how it's all going. Yeah, 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 yeah. So for any listeners that this is like kind of their new um, introduction to Geneva, or even, uh, you know, some of the veterans that listen, um, how can how can someone get, get a, their hands on your product? How can somebody get their hands on Bold Geneva if they've uh, you know if it's distributed widely across America, right? Yeah, I, I think uh, we are spreading it all over because in the begin beginning it was only uh, in a few states uh, available, but now it's more and more and more states. And we have our Lucas Balls has his own office in uh, New York. Mm -hmm. uh, Lucas Balls USA. So people can always go to the website and find the way. We are very happy that more and more and more bars and bartenders uh, do have our product. So uh, yeah, well, it's we, definitely uh, an exciting like product for bartenders. Like mm -hmm. I love having Geneva behind the bar because it's a lot of times Americans at this 
stage is kind of dwindling at this point, but there's a a preconceived notion about gin Mm -hmm. where people say, I don't like gin. And it's been a a big mission for bartenders in our country to get people to revisit and realize that, yeah, that gin you drank when you were 14 and you threw, made you throw up is not what we're drinking anymore. We have products that are really exciting. And Geneva is a really good talking point for me with guests to kind of get them back into the idea because they don't they uh they don't cross paths with that mentality a lot when we talk about Geneva. Mm-hmm. And so I love giving them drinks with it because it's a great story and it's a great um uh product to get people like to get rid of that preconceived notion mm-hmm. that they don't like it's these very products, unique. you know. Yeah. And um so I I mean I love it having mm-hmm. make, And it's a fun challenge too because it. it is a very unique taste and spirit it is it's mm-hmm. absolutely it's always this, this this grain taste is always coming back mm-hmm. there's all it depends a little bit of what i told you before of the amount of this malt spirit and if you have a, a rather high amount of malt spirit you have this grainy character you have this maltiness in it and in the same time it's quite smooth mm-hmm. if we do a, a development or a tasting or whatever what i like my panel to to feel what it is when you when you when you when it goes through your mm-hmm. stomach, don't spit it out because then you have it only in your mouth, mm. and it's very important. I I think you recognize that if you have a drink, whatever it is, and it burns over here, you don't like it. Mm-hmm. it must be smooth, easy going. Mm-hmm. So that's a very important thing of it. Yeah. Uh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, <It's, laughs> I completely agree. I, I love hearing about like the like cultural differences amongst like different countries of of you know enjoying spirits and enjoying cocktails. I know because cocktails are very you know it's a very American thing, and then hearing how other people have been enjoying their like uh, local spirits and things of their um, history and stuff. It's interesting to me because we have our. Um, traditions of how we drink too so I love learning other people's traditions in uh, Geneva especially your story earlier about sipping off the top is like so cool to me mm-hmm. yeah it, well, it, we, we, will, we will practice it together huh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think we can I think we, we can manage we have to do as we, as we should I think we, we can manage do it. Yeah. I feel like today is going to yeah. be like not going to be a huge one because if I wake up tomorrow after doing another day here at Tales <laughs> I'm not going to be able to speak at all anymore <laughs> <laughs> the flight is going to be quite fun it's a quiet day <laughs> <laughs> definitely oh man I'm looking forward to it though definitely. yeah alright okay well, okay Pete uh, going out of this you know is there anything you would like to plug coming up or or anything you want to let the listeners know um, what you're doing in the future or anything that they, that's particularly interesting for you to let people know on the way out of this podcast? No, yeah, I, I, I only hope that people will try Geneva and I hope that they like it. I can't imagine that people don't like it uh, because there are people who like whiskey and others don't like them. Uh, that, that's so, that's your personal taste. But give it a chance. Try it and, uh, and enjoy it. And what we are doing, we, I guarantee you that we're working on the best quality. And we're working, we are working on uh, a, a longer matured products. So by the end of the year, we have a Bolts Barrel Age, which is over here, which is at least uh, 18 months old. Uh, the liquid is at least 18 months on cask. We're working on a 10 years old oh, wow. uh, product. 
and I uh, I guarantee you that will be a very very nice product. Awesome. And I'm doubting if I tell my boss that we would sell it. Maybe I keep it for my own. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's that nice. So oh boy, oh, well man. I'm excited to get my hands on a bottle of that. That'll yeah, be great. or at least maybe trying to persuade you to share it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Can, can, we, can we go out of this podcast? Can I give you a curveball question? Yes. All right. Of course. I've been asking people this. Uh, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, um, well, uh, bring me up an idea. We I traveled with my wife in uh, in, in the states, in, and we were in Brooklyn, in, in, uh, in such a, um, a mall, and we want to have a sandwich. And we were asking the security, where can we buy a sandwich? He said, oh, you can go to McDonald's, you can go to KFC, but there were no sandwich shop. And then finally, we were out of the city, having at the gas station, we found a subway, and I was so happy with uh, sandwich from the subway that <laughs> doesn't mind what kind of but it was very nice <laughs> <laughs> maybe that answers your question a little bit <laughs> I, 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 i'm gonna say that you it's a hard no yeah, yeah. <laughs> also questioning why chicago visit, yeah. thinks a sandwich is a bur is like a basic burger or something like that <laughs> like all over those places yeah. we're gonna have to go there and start asking them these questions yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or brooklyn excuse me chicago what am i yeah. thinking <laughs> that was our experience. Yeah. And, and, oh. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Like I'm so impressed by you and that and I'm so happy that you got to take some of your time to talk to us and talk on talk tales. Okay. And I hope everyone let me let me ask you one favor. Yes. Uh if people use our product and they have questions, uh let them call our team in the in New York or send them an email or whatever. Uh, they can send me an email, but they don't have my email. <laughs> <laughs> because if they have any questions about our product, we want to solve that issue. Mm. There shouldn't be unanswered questions about our product. So okay. uh, everybody can ask us how the product is made, what the ingredients are, and what we do with it. Awesome. Yeah, beautiful, yeah. And maybe they can email in some cool cocktails they're doing, too. I'm sure yeah, that you guys would love to hear that kind of stuff. I think they, Feedback. They, they can go to our website and then they always find an email. So, But let them ask things. Not They have questions. Not stay with your questions. Ask us awesome. for, the, for the explanation. Mm -hmm. That's very important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you don't know. And yeah. Otherwise, you don't know. Yeah. And if you know what the product is... You're, you're only made a small step already to like it. Mm -hmm. That's true. It's the same with the sandwich. Well said. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you guys, you heard it here. Um, go out there, get yourself a bottle of Bulls Geneva. Mm -hmm. Um, and make some cocktails. Sip, fill it to the brim of the of the absolutely, of the, uh, absolutely. tulip, tulip, <laughs> or shot glass. We do a lot of shot glasses here, so. <laughs> but enjoy it. Yeah, definitely yeah, enjoy, right. it. enjoy okay, it. Okay, Thank you so much, Pete. Okay, yeah. thank you I for really the chance to tell me anything about Geneva. Awesome. <laughs> thank right. you. Thank cheers. you very much. All right. Cheers. I can't even talk anymore. Uh, hopefully, your voice is better than that. Nope. Oh man. But how about one more interview? 
Hey guys, so we are sitting here. I'm going to go right in an introduction because I did introduce the space already and we're still in this amazing warehouse and it's nice and cool. Uh, New Orleans is hot and it is sweaty and I wore a towel all day yesterday. So <laughs> I'm really happy that we're in a cool room and, uh, and within good company because right now we have the global brand ambassador of Ruta Geneva, Laura Schacht. Hello. <laughs> it was very good. Pleasure to be here. It's it was it was um, almost perfect. Yes. Okay. Oh, you, you need to say you need to say it like the proper way because well, my, my accent. Is Laura Schacht, and the brand name is Rutte, or in Dutch we say Rutte, but the R is really hard. So Ru- I, I'll take I'll take the Rutte. Nice. Okay. <laughs> you're you're it's, you're safe. It's you're walking around trying to just like get it right, and people are just gonna be like passing by. I'm already yeah. I'm already happy if it's not rut, and people drop the last e, and it's like no, it's ruta. It's like mm, don't you elegant. don't have to roll the r, but just you know ruta. keep keep Got the it. keep the e at the end. Ruta. Right. Yeah. <laughs> just, do, just do your best and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Please try. Just, just drink. Just drink the brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah. No, I'm like uh, the worst accents too. We live in LA where there's a lot of actors yeah. and everyone's always working on accents and stuff. And I'm like, hello. Like I'm like I just can't do accents yeah. like at all or sound any way that is not like a hoarse voice right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that is your New Orleans voice. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is now my New Orleans definitely became voice yeah. and my persona in New Orleans. So that <laughs> is good. So, Laura, um, let's get right into the brand because uh, this is a unique, really great, unique Geneva brand that um, people may or may not be familiar with. So for those who are, here's some really detailed information about. For those who aren't, we're going to learn about it. So, yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Um, so the thing is that, um, I mean, you've learned about Geneva. You heard what Geneva is about and how Geneva is being made, I guess. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. We did have just a gr- amazing uh, yeah. interview. So um, Geneva at Rutte is a little bit different because the family um, has been always a little bit quirky and doing things a little bit different. And they've been quite Dutch and they've been quite stubborn. And so um, it's it's a very interesting brand to work for because they just use very unique ingredients and that's what makes the Genevers a little bit different at Rutte than um, other Genevers because of the botanicals they use and the methods they use. Um, so when we came with this project of bringing all the Genevers together um, and we talked about how, what goes into our Genevers, we had to add a few things just because Rich is doing them. So it was mm-hmm. a bit like, yeah, but actually, sorry. Yeah, we, we do this. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody was like, who uses macerations? It was like, yeah, sorry. That's uh, us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's us weirdos. So um, that was kind of like really interesting to see. Um, and it's also something that makes it really interesting to work with Ruta and to work for the brand and to see all the family history because the brand is almost 150 years old. It was established in 1872, from Simon Rutten. That's also why the Rutten that we, the Geneva that we have right now in the U.S. is called Old Simon. Oh wow! Mm. So um, he was a founder of the distillery, but he was already born into a distilling family. So he was the fourth generation of a distiller. Um, so he already brought a lot of knowledge, and he had this little shop in a town of Dordrecht in the Netherlands. And then at some point, or at that point in 1872, he put up a pot still in the back and started distilling his own Geneva. And Geneva, as you know, is like the 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 stuff in 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 the Netherlands and in mm-hmm. the Lowlands, also in Belgium, parts of nor- northern um, Germany and northern France, um, and 
he was very fortunate as well because Dordrecht is a really tiny town. Like it's beautifully picturesque, um, adorable to walk through, and um, all those tiny little houses, like the typical crookedy Dutch houses, <laughs> and a lot of canals. And it's um, on a um, on a big canal, on a big river that goes into the Rhine River, which goes into Germany. And it's been a trade route um, for a long, long time where everything from Bordeaux, all the wine barrels from Bordeaux came in uh -huh. and all the trade from Rotterdam came onto the Rhine, into Germany. So it's been quite of a wealthy city through that because they, of course, they taxed everything that was going through. Mm -hmm. So they were like benefiting from all the trade that was going through the city but that also of course gave him access to the best botanicals and weirdest ingredients um from those ships so anywhere where dutch sailors were going anywhere where dutch boats were going they would bring back amazing stuff and they'd drop it off in dordrecht there just in front of his door basically but then also what gave him quite a lot of like room to play and inspiration um, this um, nature reserve in the back of Dordrecht that was created through a really, really horrible flood in the 14th century. It's called Elizabeth Flood, which killed many thousands of people and cattle. And oh, it was wow. really, really horrible. But it pressed, like it pushed a lot of salt water into the Netherlands. Mm. And of course, the salt water isn't there anymore. But it changed the soil. It changed like the minerals. It's very, like you see a lot of kind of like seaweed style of, of greens growing there and that's a nature reserve just kind of like closed up to Dordrecht and that's where he also went to forage weird ingredients Whoa, and put them into his pot still so he had basically the best resources from all over the world coming into on boats but he also had this super close by Dutch nature reserve where he found all those local stuff as well wow mm. what a what a like the foresight to like see all this to like create this brand is amazing that's amazing yeah. yeah so this is like already Inve inventive yeah yeah. Yes. yeah yeah they've like they also they are a really creative family and nowadays um it's not the family distilling anymore we have a cake ass female master distiller miriam hendrix um who's running the show there um at this point of time um, but all the sons and daughters of uh, John Rütte, who is the last family um, distiller, um, are now artists and musicians and painters. <laughs> and it's like... It like always, runs in their blood. Yeah. yeah, it runs in their blood. They've always just been really creative and really doing their own thing. And this, this is just so cool to see as well. Mm -hmm. And we have all those old paintings in the distillery that family members have made from from the pot stills, from the location, from the distillery, from everything. It's just like, it's super cool when you go there and you see all those pictures hanging on the wall. And it's like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's family Rota. Diverse legacy to say the least, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. The family's still like involved? The family's still around. They are not involved anymore. Um, there's also a bit of story to that. Um, John Rutter was still distilling until 2003. He already didn't... That's not... Yeah, it's... 2003 is like not yeah. that long ago. I just, I kind of just like wait, wait, what? Yeah, we're hearing, hearing all these dates I and like the 2000s start, numbers. I know. Like I a, just was like, okay, math, come on. <laughs> it's tales. Yeah. <laughs> it's Friday, no worries. Don't we know? But um, so he was still distilling until 2003. But by then, he already didn't own the distillery anymore. He already kind of like had investors from the town uh, that just wanted to make sure it's not closing down. And then he got, he hired Miriam to basically become the master distiller once he would stop. 
And the kind of unfortunate thing was that he died a month after. Mm. Oh, <laughs> it's oh. really, <laughs> but it's like kind of beautiful though too. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's like, like, yeah, it's maybe that was the t- right time for him to go, and mm-hmm. he found somebody, he it, found a successor, oh. and he was like, we don't know, but it was like it was very unexpected, and of course it left Mir- Miriam in a really super surprised and like. Sh- throwing her in the ice cold water yeah like, yeah she's like i would have asked different questions i would have asked if yeah, like if more known, questions yeah. if i would have only known but that's how those things go mm-hmm. so yeah she, but sometimes that creates yeah. something beautiful too yeah. yeah and it did because as i said they were really stubborn in 2003 i don't know your background in like computers and stuff but they had a dos computer i don't even <laughs> yeah. anymore i've never is that the green screen yeah it's kind of like this kind of like super almost simple code input style. commands yes yeah. yep i had one yep yeah so i'm um, probably a bit younger than because <laughs> i didn't <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh damn it <laughs> so they had one dos computer and they basically just used it for some bookkeeping tasks Mm -hmm. but the distillers were refusing to use it for their recipes so they had everything documented and handwritten thousands and thousands of recipes and books and books of like bookkeep old bookkeeping stuff all in the attic so the attic was filled with richer history wow and then Miriam called someone from the Geneva Museum, because there is a Geneva Museum if you ever make it to Sridham. Up going. Sounds like I should. <laughs> Sounds like I should. <laughs> so um, there's a Geneva Museum and she called the guy and she's like, I need your help. You need to help me to go through all this stuff up there. I'm sure there are some cool treasures and you can take some to the museum, but I need support in this. Like I can't do it alone. Yeah. So they went through all the books and basically kind of like started to order everything and time and dates and like what recipes what is but basically that left her with the heritage of old recipes from all the generations back to simon with everything so she she has a massive massive kind of like library of mm-hmm. recipes and ideas that she can go back to that's incredible yeah and and re- redo it and redistill it and retry it and 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 mm-hmm. rework it so all the Genevers that we are making and we internationally right now only have old simon but there are more to come nice <laughs> and all of the Genevers that she's she's making are based on old recipes mm-hmm. while she has free range in the gins and she mm-hmm. is going completely nuts there as well and she's also came up with some of her own Geneva styles Right now, the next two international Genevas we are launching are based on two other previous family distillers. So on Anton and John. Hmm. So this is like really cool because she basically just goes back, finds old recipes. And then she's like, this sounds like we can work with it. And that's the style we want to recreate. And then she starts with that recipe and then she's, of course, implementing new techniques and and and, mo- and her own modern twist. I mean, she's the master distiller, and but then she kind of like makes them, yeah, based on the old family. Wow, Which I love is, that that like taking it and then twisting it and making it her own and and kind of yeah. doing things that maybe not traditional in in certain ways. Yeah, yeah. but the, there is like still so much of like signature in those recipes. Because they are using so weird ingredients sometimes. (laughs) And it's just like so complex products to make as well. It's not like one distillation and you're done. So 
that's why it's it's great to experiment with that and with now with the with the new Geneva's that we are launching she did play around a little bit with it while with the old Simon we left it completely original okay. mm -hmm. so that is that we changed we had to adapt the recipe a little when we launched it in the US because tonka bean is not um, allowed as an ingredient here what is that tonka bean is huh. a tiny little bean that smells amazing of vanilla and chocolate and coffee mm -hmm. and It's super delicious, but it's not allowed in the U.S. That was because when you eat, it's a little bit like nutmeg. When you eat like 20 beans of it, you get a bit high. <laughs> oh, that's weird. And not even as an ingredient. I guess that the, makes sense. But, that, yeah, if you but, live in the U.S., that's probably yeah. very logical <laughs> that you do not know Tonka. Well, yeah. well, maybe if all of us bartenders like start making uh, more of a issue of it, they'll lift that bambi so we get, like what we did with absinthe, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so. for example, yeah. So it's like, it's actually like there's very little proof of all this, but it's fine like we we had something in the geneva already that was really easy to make up for it so it has roasted hazelnuts and walnuts in it mm -hmm. and it has carob in it and licorice so all those kind of like hmm. ingredients are we just up the like we just up the quantity of the of the distillates and the infusions so that basically totally make up for losing the tonka bean in it so that was the only kind of like adaption that we made and miriam is always wondering what would happen if we would all make all the distillates at once and all the maceration at once but it would probably be a completely different product so we're just sticking to even though it's much more complex and time consuming yeah we're sticking to mm -hmm. the old school making three different distillates two mm -hmm. different macerations and then blending all together at the end cool. so this is like when you have another geneva and they say like they do the botanical um distillation yeah and then they blend it with mold spirit and um sugar a little bit maybe or they put it on a barrel mm -hmm. as rutte for the old simon for example we have one distillate that is kind of like the backbone of most of the rutte genevers and and gins it's a um yeah we literally call it almost a backbone in dutch and it has juniper in it but also other um, botanicals yeah that is one distillate And then we have another distillate, which is based on malt spirit. So we distill it with malt spirit. And that's a roasted hazelnuts and walnuts. And they are being roasted really to the to the max, basically. <laughs> so they get this really roasty notes. And they're like too bitter to eat. But when you distill it in distillation, bitterness doesn't go through the pot still. So the bitterness stays. You get that like roasty. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but you yeah. get this roasty toasty notes. Nice, roasted. like your voice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> What was crazy. that? Yeah. I know it's crazy. I can't believe it. <laughs> so this is like this is kind of like what's going through, and then there's a third distillation with berries. So with oh, berries wow. from the Dutch this is coast. Crazy. Yeah. And those are the three distillates that we put in the old Simon Geneva, and then we have two macerations: one with carob and one with licorice, and. Those are being used again. And of course, you create a completely different flavor when you macerate something and infuse it versus when you distill it. You have, you just get a completely different aroma out of right. it. So it's, it's apparently like it seems to be very important that those are macerated and not being in the botanical distillation. So we have those two macerates and then we also blend them together with the distillates and we blend them together with a malt spirit. And then we have it marriage for a while. We we have it. We rest it in steel tanks to kind of like have it blend together and mm -hmm. and yeah, get one. And then we have the old time in Geneva. So it is a bit of a weird, complex 
product. Which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also well. truly believe it is reflected in the taste because you get all those different notes, but it almost merges to one completely undefinable new. So when you know that there are nuts in it and when you know that there are berries mm -hmm. in it, you're like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, it gives you a like a roadmap. Yeah, yeah, it gives you a roadmap, but then also it gives so much free choice of what to do with it because you can literally mix it with almost everything mm -hmm. and create completely new flavors with old simon so this is wow yeah it's a very, very unique cool. really cool unique geneva um so laura you are like a, you know everything about this brand which is like incredible i don't know how you uh, keep all this information <laughs> yeah. no, <ours>. um, <laughs> what was your specific like transition into representing this brand did you bartend yeah okay and then so and you took a part i wish i could speak better um, <laughs> you like, took, we uh, started really well once we had the taste earlier and now it's like kind of getting back to i know you just need another taste <laughs> yeah. right Apparently, i'm gonna taste some of this geneva and see if it helps my voice a little bit <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> Slight improvement. Yeah. Yeah. So from transitioning to bart or from from bartending to brand representation, um, what was that experience for you, and what drove you in the direction to get to where representing Ruta? <laughs> um, so I was um, bartending for a long time before already, and. I am from the north of Germany, but then I moved to Switzerland and then eventually I ended up in Amsterdam and I basically always moved for my university degree. So I did my bachelor in Zurich, I did my master in Amsterdam, but I was always bartending to finance my <laughs> studies. Like that's how you get into it, right? Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> so I was always bartending and financing my studies and it slowly just took over and over and over. And at some point I was more working in a bar than I was actually studying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's crazy and how that happens, right? in a weird way. It never goes the, right, the way you think it will. <laughs> yeah, so, but I was, I, I also really loved my studies. And so I finished my master and I still, almost until a year before I finished, I was very convinced that I would do my PhD after and that I would actually take the academic route. But the closer I moved to the end of my studies, I was like, actually, those people are just boring. <laughs> <laughs> and I like my nightlife and I like my life as a bartender and I like the industry. So I was really, really hesitant to stay in, the, in, 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 acad in academia so once I had my degree, I was like, oh, I'm going to just keep on managing the bar for now mm. and see, see what, what comes manifests. up. Yeah. And then I was managing this beautiful little tiny cocktail bar in Amsterdam, Hiding in Plain Sight, if you ever make it there. Mm. And um, it is the name is Hiding in Plain Sight. Shout out. It's not, Shout out. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's like a Hiding hint. in Plain yeah. Sight. She's just yeah. giving hints to yeah. it. Yeah. True speakeasy. No. <laughs> so that's the name of the bar. And it's... Um, yeah, it's, it's a great bar. It's owned by an American, actually. And it was a super cool, creative place to work in. And we've always had Ruta in the back bar as well. They're Genevers. And, but then I was there and I was like, okay, after almost a year of managing, only managing this bar without anything additional on the side, because until then I was managing the bar and doing my master. So I actually always had like a lot on my plate. And then I was just doing bartending even though it was not necessarily less work because I just worked more hours, but it was just like, okay, I need 
I need something else to keep my head busy a little. Like I need to mm. keep thinking. I need to keep moving. And um, so once I had decided that I wanted to do something else, I got a phone call. And it was a good old friend from Hamburg. And he was like, so there is this company I'm I'm consulting for. And they are looking for someone to represent their brands in the Netherlands. And it's like, okay. There it is. That's, yeah. that, that's that door. Yeah. And then he named Doors the brands. And, he was, and I was like, sounds like I can do that. <laughs> so so cool. for me, it was like, that is a brand that I really... Because I never really thought I'd go into the into the brand representation like representing a brand into that route either mm. but then it was like that sounds like i could do this like mm. sounds like a plan let me let's 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 have a meeting let's sit down and then i got to know the distillery and i got to know miriam the master distiller and the owners of the distillery and i was like yeah this is this is pretty cool awesome. and then i started in the dutch market and then about two and a half years ago uh, one and a half years ago i moved to the global team so wow jeez uh, man Kicking ass, taking names yeah, over there. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like it's really great to work with so passionate people, and it just makes it easier. But it's also just such a great product and such a great category, and so much history to talk about. It just never gets boring, and right. there's always something to rediscover and something to research and something. And research is like I still really much love research. So it I love really spending, well yeah, mm -hmm. I love spending time on on doing research on history of Geneva or on different ingredients that we're using or on, on ingredients that are used to somewhere else that are just like really interesting or on techniques. So actually, like you were talking about fermentation earlier with with Pete's, Miriam and I did a fermentation seminar at Tales of the Cocktail last year. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. So I was throwing in Miss my... Miss that one, obviously. <laughs> I was throwing in my German root sauerkraut knowledge. Nice. And um, all the home ferments and like beverage, like fermented beverage knowledge. And she was throwing in her distiller's knowledge what actually happens during fermentation how you actually taste that then in the distillates mm -hmm. because we all know that certain brands only use this yeast strain and they have it locked up in like a cold fridge somewhere mm -hmm. nobody can access it because it's that yeast strain no other mm -hmm. but you're like what does that actually do like is it actually important is it is it making a difference so that's why we kind of like were really interested to look at that also from the Geneva perspective and she made a few distillates with like malt spirit that was completely going off and like with with mashes that were completely going off and then she was distilling them and you got all the like weird esters and Dude. weird aromas so that was really interesting very and, inventive and like creative like minded yeah and it was like and i of course i had enough time to then kind of like sit down and research for the seminar and being kind of like paid sorry boss for <laughs> like sitting down and doing research and then coming here and talk about it is super amazing and i'm not sure if everybody gets the freedom and the time to actually so thoroughly research something i of course also was like freaking out and panicking because i had to present a tales and it was my first year at tales and then i was like <laughs> I oh my imagine god yeah. nerve-wracking like, you years and years you're like oh my god tales is like i really want to go there once and then you meet the presenters and you're like oh my god like you're a real person <laughs> yeah. like you're a presenter we've been going tales? through that this yeah. week too yeah, yeah. wow and then suddenly you're like, yeah, you're going and you're presenting. And you're just like, uh, uh, yeah. shit. <laughs> so you're just like, okay, you really, really prep 
the seminar. I mm. literally had my seminar completely written down. I spoke it for myself on my phone and I was listening to myself over and over going oh, through wow. the seminar. So I was like, I was super nervous. Like, yeah. and, and very prepared. And very prepared. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I read TED, but like how to talk like TED books before oh, just yeah. to keep the oh, right wow. pace in like speaking and everything. So I was like, it was super, but it was so cool to go basically back to school and reach research something so thoroughly and precisely and together with our master distiller and yeah so sometimes we just pick a topic and then we're going for it mm -hmm. <laughs> nice so it's really interesting because as we're going out on this interview i just like i'm really from all the interviews we've been doing at tales of the cocktail this is actually going to be one of the last interviews a common ground that i found from i'm pretty sure everybody is everything like the hero tales you're at a you know everyone's been on a common goal which is the find the path that that's going to work for them you know and everyone's kind of says the same thing that things just open up if you kind of just keep, keep your mind open and it sounds the same for you like yeah, you went absolutely. in one direction yeah. and it didn't go the way that you thought it was going to go but as you're going there and everything you learned in the pl place that you were at doors opened to where you are at now and yeah, everything and it's also, you learned got yeah, you there sometimes like i i feel people get really focused on something where they want to go they might miss out on other chances but it's also it's the you have to have the right mindset in the moment you have to be like i want to master this right now right here And then the next door will come yeah. and it will open up and it will be a great opportunity or not. And then you're going to just take another exit. And mm -hmm. it's like, we, we shouldn't be so, or for myself, I just figured I don't, I, there's, I don't get anywhere if I'm super focusing on something that's like super far away. And it mm -hmm. sounds almost like utopian, like I'm never going to get there, but it's like, I really want to work for it. It's like, no, it's like, I want to master my, my, my stuff right now. I want to like be the most knowledgeable person on Geneva and its history and or on fermentation or something else. And then I just pick my pick my battles and then I do them and then something else comes up. Mm -hmm. And usually it's coming up and you don't actually have to to look for it. Right. It's just it's there. It's there. Mm -hmm. But you have the mindset of being like, okay, now I I I look up and then there it is. <laughs> so that's that's kind of like cool. So congratulations yeah like what very cool you are amazing representative of this, this brand and uh we're going to be tasting this soon so i'm really excited about it um do you mind if uh we, well before we go out i give you a curveball question a what a, a curveball question <laughs> 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 matt will you say that a curveball question thank you <laughs> matt you might have to repeat the question got it for editing purposes um <laughs> If if you were a cocktail, what cocktail would you be and what would you tell people? In the sense of working in very focused on Geneva right now, I would want to be a Martinez because nice. it has so much history to tell and it is the perfect cocktail to tell the whole history of Geneva from its peak moment in the 1880s to its saddest time at least in the u.s where it was basically not here at all and it was being replaced by old toms and by gins and now coming back in its best shape with so many different brands and 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 uh, styles being represented 
So I, I, and also I really like the cocktail. <laughs> it's slightly bitter. It's slightly sweet. It's a lot of the Geneva in there. So, and it's the perfect drink to showcase the versatility of the versatility, vers, versatility, versatility, yeah. Versatility. We'll yeah. go with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Versatility of the whole category and also of the different styles of Geneva because as you learned, Geneva is not just one kind of like drink and you don't get the same style of Geneva every time you go into bar and you'll you might get something completely else because the category is so vast it's like rum you don't expect to go in a bar and order rum and the next time you go back to get exactly the same style of rum you might end up with a agricole and then the next time you mm -hmm. have a super long aged dark spirit and so it's like this is the same with Geneva that's how far it can go so mm -hmm. But I do think the Martinez is a perfect cocktail to represent all of them. So cool. you can make a Martinez with a very young, floral, crisp, botanically let Geneva. But you can also make it with 100% malt spirit, with like all, all maltiness or an aged Geneva. So it's like there is so much and to will, discover. Yeah, and that mm -hmm. cocktail would be different with every like, Exactly. Product, and yeah. it shows like in every product, it, it shows another side of itself. So that's like, I really love this. And mm. I'm really looking forward to when we have our new products because then we have every style represented. So we have a young Geneva, a new style of Geneva that's quirky botanicals and yeah, more on the botanical side. We have Old Simon, which is an old Geneva, but not aged. And then the last one that we're going to launch is a paradise wine, which is named after the little paradise that we have at the distillery, which is our barrel room. And it's an aged Geneva um, 100% malt spirit, also with a lot of berries, actually. So Ooh, um, nice. that's a kind of my... like a fruity aged one. Uh. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so if anyone wanted to kind of maybe get some information about the brand or learn how to acquire it or where where it's available, uh, where would they go or who could they contact? Um, they could definitely find us online, but they could also contact Royal Dutch Distillers it's a 100% subsidiary of uh, De Kuiper here in the US, and they mm -hmm. import us. And also Ruta is owned by De Kuiper um, since a few years, so that's when we started to go international. And um, so they are, um, yeah, Royal Dutch Distillers is the importer, and they know exactly where you can find Old Simon. Great. Awesome. Um, Thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> for spending time with Talktales and, and, you know, like teaching us about this incredible, like, so... It's just like a complex brand or even this one. Yeah. Yeah. This one. <laughs> even the one bottle is yeah. already complex. Let's yeah. not talk I'm about. It's just like, oh, my brain. <laughs> next year we talk about the new two products. and um, But also the one new product that we're launching at the end of the year, we're really pushing for the end of the year because the recipe is 100 years old this year. Oh, that'd be incredible. Well, yeah. So this is one of those like examples where Miriam is going back and she found an old recipe and she's like, the date is on oh, there yeah, let's and do it's it. 2000 yeah. and it was 1918 so we need to get this it out like, this yeah. year oh, it's so cool yeah so. that'd be awesome the perfect way to launch it yes, definitely exactly so yeah. we're working hard on on getting that done awesome and then we can next year we can talk about that one <laughs> and i will i will promise let's do the interview on the first day because this is the last it's done this whole thing is done i'm glad i'm actually I don't think I could do one more. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that it's one of the last news because you're, yeah. It's, I know. It's physically not able to happen anymore. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, one Geneva is definitely going to help and then um, you're you're off for the, yeah. for the weekend. Well, yeah. No, I have to work tomorrow at the bar. <laughs> oh, sh 
that's um, <laughs> it's gonna be great. That's gonna be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> okay. you should have no, like you should. I have, have kind good bar like, sign language though. Yeah, and nice. you should I'd have just like, kind of like. Yeah. Like signs where you can kind of like hold up something. Two, yeah, several. Yeah, (laughs) Laura, you've been fantastic, and thank you so much for taking time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for the questions and the interview. Awesome. Cheers. 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 Prost, as we say. Oh, prost. 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 Well, 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 wow! That was an awesome, awesome, awesome time we had out there in Tales the Cocktail. Yeah, it was uh, just trying to remember it all. (laughs) <laughs> Literally, because uh, it, it was. I mean, it's possible and totally impossible at times. It's just how alcohol works in the brain. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I can't fucking figure it out. But I'm so like thankful for everyone that participated in, in any of these episodes. Thank you so much. Everyone that spent time with us is so appreciated. And I can't be more thankful for all of you and everyone who's listening. And also, yeah, thank you so much to Tales of the Cocktail for inviting us to do this. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, New Orleans, for having us. What a beautiful city. It was incredible. Thank you, all the people that we met, all the amazing bartenders that served us, all the amazing restaurants that served us, to everyone who put the parties on and everything like that. It it was just such a blast. And we wouldn't have been able to do this entire thing without everyone that supported us of Tales to Tales, the event we did to raise money for us to get out there to to do this so thank you everybody who was a part of that everyone who donated all the brands that donated all the people that bought tickets to support us and it was a fun event so thank you for all of that as well it was freaking awesome man yeah it was definitely and uh look forward to maybe another live event coming soon at some point oh yeah we're working on it so keep in tune for that we've had some really great stuff this year because we're wi- we're winding down to our entire first year of doing this thing yeah it's crazy it's been um, a lot and it's yeah been fun. we'll be a year recording in december so mm-hmm. we're, we're coming up to our one year anniversary and it's a, a year to be talked about we had la magazine rise up so if you haven't read that story just google search talk tales of podcast la magazine you'll see the article it's really cool uh so just yesterday Adele, our mixtress, and I went to this really cool lunch event uh, with Ararat Brandy. It's a... It's an Armenian brandy. Armenian brandy. Yes. And so not only did we like learn about this, this spirit, we tasted it. We had all this amazing lunch. There was also a cocktail competition that... And guess who won? (laughs) It me. (laughs) I I busted out some good ass cocktail and people liked it. So they were uh, just, hey, you guys want to join a competition? And I was like, sure, yeah, I'll join. And then she won. Yeah. Per usual. Yeah, it was cool. I, I had a blast. I haven't done a cocktail competition for a little while. So it was it was fun playing with a new spirit that I've never experienced before. So uh, that was an awesome thing, being invited to that. Thank you so much, you guys, for inviting Talk Tales to cover that event. Because we like doing things. Yeah. All of them. All the uh, and uh, yeah, like Matt said, we're working on some new live shows, so keep tuned into our social media, uh, Instagram, Talk Tales the Podcast. We're also on Twitter, Twitter backslash Talk Tales the Pod, because they like to cut off the cast part of it. And then we're also on Facebook if you still do that. And also check us out on our website. All the details on anything we're doing is on that. That's TalkTalesThePodcast.com. While we're winding it down, we uh, had a great time in New Orleans, and of course, we want you to have a great time for wherever you are, uh, but we want you to do so responsibly. Uh, we are over the dr- legal drinking age and enjoy serving and drinking, but we do so responsibly and ask that you do the same, so please do not consume alcohol and drive. Rideshare! Yeah, we did a fair amount of that when we were there. 
And also thank you so much to my brother-in-law Grayson for creating our badass logo as well as our great friend Josh for crafting our amazing theme song. It's badass. Uh, Also, thank you, Jason, our podcast editor who listens to all of our mess ups and takes them out. And thank you, Adele, for all your mixing powers and our podcast producer, Allison Bryant. You kill, you kick ass and take names. Mm-hmm. So we got a good old team going on yeah, here. Yeah, we do. We got the Tails team. What do we call it? Team, team Tails. Tails. <laughs> oh, got it. Yeah. Thank you again so much. Tails the Cocktail, you rule. And we will be seeing you next year, baby. Let's yeah, do yeah. it. Bring it on. It. Come at us. Hey, let's go out of this podcast with a little saxophone. We're trumpet style saxophone. Yep, there it is. I think that's a saxophone. Oh, nailed it. That's a trumpet. Cocktail. 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 Cocktail.